Just to let you know, I'm looking after a small dog, and they are a bit yappy, so apologies if, if they just start barking halfway through you know, when you're saying something. To be honest, I accept that above anything else, any other type of noise. So. Well, I did think that like, if I had a cat here and it started meowing, you'd probably come around and th- throw it off the balcony, wouldn't you, Tinky? That's if I hadn't managed to pick up a shotgun on the way round, yeah. <laughs> Dogs, man. Oh, oh God! In every way, Matt's just wrong, isn't he? Just all. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm sick of this bullshit dog narrative. <laughs> <laughs> this bullshit. Oh, that mainstream media constantly promoting the dogs. <laughs> oh yeah, dogs are. No, they're not. Let's go on with it. I can't. I can't talk about that anymore. It's going to infuriate too much. <laughs> Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we prepare for the autumn, or fall, as it is sometimes incorrectly known, with the NWA's presentation of Clash of the Champions 8, Fall Brawl 89. Joining me for today's pod is old man Sam Kerry. Hello, hello. And also the polar bear Matt Robert. Gentlemen, pleasure as always. I like that we've got nicknames for both of you now. I I enjoy that a lot. Makes my intros a lot easier. Well, we've obviously got Stephen Coriander... Yep. Tom. It's just Tom. See, <laughs> even now, even like, what, 19, 20 months into us doing the pod, still ain't got a fucking nickname for him. No. I know. Just Tom. Yeah, cunt cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here he I is. I thought that was Kane. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. Glenn there. Jacob. Glenn Jacobs, not Kane. Ah, Glenn fuck that. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, some of the stuff that he did, Kane, would be a cunt as well. Yeah, but he did it to a lot of other cunts, didn't he? People like Mark Calloway, for example. Mm, yeah. Who's uh, who Matt's obviously, well, by the time this comes out, would have seen. Yeah, a long time ago, because this uh, this episode is going to come out three weeks, I think, after the recording. So yeah. quite a long, long time ago now. There's a ridiculous amount of stuff this weekend. God help us. It's, it's not this weekend anymore. It was two, three weeks ago. That's, that's yeah. all you need to know. Just so you know, Matt, we established last week that it was either brilliant or terrible. There's yeah. no in-between. There's no in-between. It's not average. It definitely wasn't average. If it was, we haven't catered for it in the pod, no. and it can't have happened. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that then. <laughs> so one thing that did come up on Twitter recently was Matt was going to give us a rundown of how Roman Reigns could hold the WWE title for as long as Bruno San Martino over the next uh, four or five years. I'm not going to do that today because... We don't know, as I just said, we don't know what the uh, the result of Clash of the Castle is. And he may already have lost the title. That's how much... bloody not after all the work I put into that, <laughs> thinking. <laughs> as this is a couple of weeks in advance, we, we still don't know. So we've got a different topic today, and I'll get to that in just a second. But as has been the case since day one, you can reach out to us and interact with us on Twitter at RWRPodUK. Now fully kitted out with our new NWO-style branding, 
You can also follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with our latest episode and what's coming up on the pod. So today's topic is another Matt specific one, I'm afraid, just because I'm really trying to get under the skin of, of some of these prejudices that Matt seems to have. Well, <laughs> women. Yeah. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So we, we yeah. had we talked about, you know, intergender wrestling on uh, the SummerSlam 92 episode. Today, I want to talk about Kofi Kingston. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so over the last, I don't know, like three, four years, I have noticed Matt's tweets. Every time Kofi Kingston is is mentioned, anytime, and especially when Kofi Kingston is mentioned in accordance with the WWE title, Matt gets right on his soapbox, starts like lashing out, swinging at everybody, throwing clotheslines from hell here, there and everywhere. And I thought, you know what, since we've got Matt and old man on the pod today, and old man's one of the biggest Kofi Kingston guys in the big business today i thought let's let's have it out let's 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 dig into it let's find out what's going on there so matt why do you hate kofi kingston you right bastard (laughs) (laughs) no you you're the one who puts yourself out there all the time come on it's time time to justify it god do you know i i have had far too much time on my hands this week i I have been i've seen far too much shit on twitter that has gone under my skin okay Kofi Bloody Kingston. <laughs> Although, by the way, that is his actual name. <laughs> right. Let, let's let's get it out there. Kofi Kingston is a perfectly, and even acceptable to even good wrestler. Nothing wrong with his sort of match quality. It's fine. It sometimes is even good. On occasions, it's even been excellent. Granted, I'd say those are very rare, but he's certainly a good wrestler. Now. My problem with, and it's not just Kofi Kingston, I'm going to say that now, it, it's, to be honest, it's kind of the new day as a whole. It's that they come across, to be, to be blunt, as giant geeks, in the sense of, when I think of the WWE champion, universal champion, whatever the hell you want to call it, I think of, you know, this sort of big, tough person that you look up to and think, oh my God, they could kick my ass and beat the shit out of me. I wouldn't want to tangle with them if you give me a million pound. Kofi Kingston does not fit that image in any way, shape or form. He just comes across as such a geek I've, I, I don't know this, but I suspect maybe he was bullied in school. I don't know. But to me, there's just an aura about him that he comes across as a giant nerd. And when I see the WWE Championship strapped around his waist, it's just it, it just goes right through me. And it's not it's something I just don't think it's ever fit. I mean, he's perfectly capable of. Being that mid-card guy, you know, he can win the Intercontinental Championship. He can be in a part of a fantastic tag team. That's awesome. But this is a topic that we've talked about before. When it comes to the WWE Championship, what's meant to be the top, most prestigious sort of honor in the company, not everyone can get there. That is a cold, hard fact. Not everyone can be the top guy. And there are people out there who keep on at this, you know, oh, so-and-so deserves it because they work hard and they're a nice guy. There's a ton of nice guys in WWE who work hard, I've no doubt. That doesn't mean that every single one of them should be WWE champion. And the, the thing that sort of got me to think about this this week is I, I've seen the tweet a lot of, of Brock Lesnar when he basically squashed the shit out of Kofi on SmackDown a few years ago. For me, I mean, okay, yeah, I don't like Kofi, so for me, that finish did make me laugh. But if you had somebody else there, 
I still like the finish because for me, as an MMA fan, it almost felt like an MMA finish. Kofi went to dive at Brock. It didn't work. Basically, he fucked up. He made a huge mistake in the opening seconds of the fight and Brock capitalized and won. If that was somebody else other than Kofi, I would have still enjoyed it. Probably equally as much. Because the way it was executed, give give credit to Kofi, it was great. The finish, and again, sorry to go back to MMA a minute, but the, the finish that that kind of reminded me of, for those who don't know, um, Ronda Rousey faced somebody called Kat Singano in UFC many years ago. And basically this person's Kat. Oh, fuck yes. it, were they fighting cats? When did that happen? The ultimate feline championship. So, something like that. But this was a good couple of years ago. And basically, Katzingano went for some form of armbar. It didn't work. Or she was some form of takedown into an armbar. It didn't work. And Ronda Rousey caught her in an armbar and tapped her out in about 20 seconds. So immediately, Kat fucked up and she knew it. And the second that the bell went at the end of the fight, the look on her face said that she fucked up. And it was a great story. And that's what they did with Brock and Kofi. And that's why I liked it. And then there are so many people on Twitter and online who've gone and said, oh, it's the worst thing. It's the, the worst booking decision they've made in years. Shut the hell up. No, it's not. It was great. Sorry, Kofi. I'm sure you're the nicest guy. He seems it. He really does seem like a nice guy. WWE champion? Absolutely not. Hang on, before I let you respond, old man, cool. I do have to, first of all, make it very clear that the editorial line of the Random Wrestling Review is very much to side with the bullied, not the bullies. <laughs> old man, carry on. <laughs> so, I just want to check something. I'm not having a go, Matt. So you don't like him because a load of fucking pricks on Twitter moaned about him losing the title. No, that just brought it all back. He just He's just a geek to me. He just comes across as just a big geek. So when he won the title, did you not enjoy that moment? I hated it. Did you not enjoy his small child living that historical moment? Did you not enjoy that? And let's like let's be honest, like this was a piece of history because it was the first black WWE champion that there had ever been. I personally, I remember watching that with Tinky around his house. I love that. And I love that match. And I also love the fact that what they did is they took it off him. They had Brock beat him, as he should. Oh, and you said uh, Kofi looks like he couldn't beat anyone up. He'd fucking snap me in half. Like a little twig there, and then he'd chew me up, then spit me out, and then probably take a dump as well. Matt, but, Matt um, shaking his head as if he could actually have Kofi Kingston. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd feel confident about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem. I'm sorry, he would hit the SOS on you. You have a fucking chance. You'd be lights out straight away. And and, and the boom drop, fucking call it off, mate. Call it <laughs> off. I get what you're saying about people like deserving titles. Now, his run where he was a SOS da, 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 was horrific. Like, it was horrific. And I am 100% with you. But I kind of get what you're saying about the New Day. I, I do understand it to a certain extent. But they can't just be like everyone else. They can't be the Viking Raiders. They can't be Demolition. They can't be the Heart Foundation. You've got to be your own people. And so many people in WWE aren't their own people. And that's why I like them. And that's why I like him. I will say that if I was watching it week on week, I think they would probably frustrate me a little bit because I think it's just a lot. There's a lot of enthusiasm. Sometimes you don't need that much enthusiasm, especially when the rest of the product's crap. I think that level of enthusiasm is quite dangerous. 
from a fan perspective because it's <laughs> like, hang on, but all of this is crap and you're really excited about it. Why are you excited about all this crap? But yeah, I can kind of see where you're going with it. I don't agree, but I respect the fact that you can actually back it up and you don't just hate him because he's annoying. Whereas I hate loads of people because they're annoying. Can't think of anyone. I can tell you about something about Kofi that I like. In fact, an angle that he took part of that I thought was fantastic. The sort of celebrated, even, when he did the boom drop on Randy Orton in Madison Square Garden. Mm. The fact that I remember that, you know, that that was around about 2009, I think. That was great. Also, don't forget that he did something. He messed up the finish in a match they had on Raw, which might have been that same night. And Randy Orton completely kiboshed his push. Yeah, yeah, he did. I remember that, to be fair. (laughs) And also, what that did mean, it was a blessing, that angle, because he dropped the accent that he had. And he was then actually from, he was from Ghana instead of Jamaica. And it was, ah, cool. So we can actually acknowledge your heritage now. Yeah, I I can understand where you're coming from. But voice out, Kofi. I'm trying to think of who who I really hate on the roster. I used to really hate Carmella. She used to do my then because she was really crap. But then she worked really hard. And she deserved her title run because she worked really hard. And she's a nice person, apparently. Just put the title on her. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a turnaround. From my perspective, so first of all, WrestleMania 35, I really loved Kofi Kingston winning the title. I thought it was the best match of the night. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought it was great from a historical perspective. And yeah, I, I thought it was brilliant. Where I think there are some there are some things I have some sympathy for with you, Max. I, I have been saying the whole thing about just because someone's a nice person or they work hard or even they're a good in-ring worker doesn't mean they deserve the title. I totally have the same opinion. I don't think that is the case at all. In fact, I think if the, we- the best, the, if the most overstar in the company is the worst wrestler on the fucking roster, they're the world champion. It's as simple as that, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care how good they are as a wrestler, it doesn't matter. But... The issue I have with it is that Kofi, there's nothing to stop WWE to have booked him in the lead up to that show. And to be honest, I wasn't watching Raw, so I don't know if this is what they did or not. But there's nothing to stop them in the lead up to that WrestleMania, giving Kofi a slightly harder edge, even within the same realm of the character that he's playing. There doesn't, you don't need to change his character to actually make him a little, look, look a little bit tougher, build him up a little bit more. And I think where I have the issue is that they just basically, from what I seemed to see, was had the same Kofi Kingston, exactly the same Kofi Kingston, just at a higher level. And that, for me, is where the problem is. For me, Kofi Kingston should have become much more focused in the build-up and after having won the title in terms of a character. Not necessarily turn into a killer heel. And he could still do some silly things backstage, but they had to kind of get some fire. He had to get some fire about his persona. WWE needed to book that into his persona to really give him that fire that would make you buy him as champion and i think that might be what was lacking for people who are watching week on week i wasn't so i i it didn't bother me at all and i loved the fact that he won the title because i think that much like daniel bryan actually he had been a victim of wwe's inconsistency in terms of how he was going to be booked and, and fact, the fact of the matter is 20 years ago wwe if they'd started a push like the one kofi kingston had started on would have continued to push him because he was absolutely performing at the level he needed to for that push to continue it just so happens that in the period from about 2006 through to now really they seem to start a push stop a push start a push and are just not consistent with it at all so that was where I, I thought the problem was there just just a lack of kind of just slightly amend the character on the way to winning the title and then i think people like yourself matt might have had less problem with it so with this uh start a push stop a push at wwe the company equivalent of constipation <laughs> I, th- I think so they're probably as painful at times <laughs> <laughs> 
there's an image um, that I almost forgot about, but somebody shared it on Twitter recently that's just been burned into my brain for the last couple of days since I've seen it because it made me mad all over again. It made me mad the first time I saw it. I, I don't know if they were trying to perhaps maybe give Kofi that edge. It was when he was having a program with Samoa Joe. And I remember on SmackDown, he basically he gave him the middle finger. And the way it comes across to me again, because Kofi is so, I want to say childlike, it, it just reminded me of like a 13-year-old boy in school giving a middle finger to a teacher, you know, oh yeah, you know, that that I'm disrespecting you, you know, ha ha ha. And it just, oh, it was just so cringe. There is another I, thing I've noticed about Matt as well, is that literally everything that's considered fun, Matt doesn't like. That, that's <laughs> legitimately, I, I was even listening to the other day, just listening to the other day, I can't remember what episode it was. It might have been the Heatwave uh, episode that we did, Heatwave 98, ECW. And there was something in there, and I was like, it's just fun. And Matt doesn't like it because it's fun, and that's it. I think you allow your love of MMA to cloud too much what you think WWE should be sometimes and i don't think they're they're the same thing at all in fact they're definitely not the same thing it's it's precisely because they're not the same thing that i don't like mma and i love wrestling so i think maybe that might be one of your issues matt <laughs> <laughs> i'll be honest i i can't say much because i've had a go at stupid stuff before on this podcast many times because it does have a place one thing i did want to pick up on on the middle finger that's what austin built his career around admittedly you... <laughs> no offense kofi you ain't no Austin. And I suppose, actually, I'm talking myself right. It's a very different time, isn't it? And who else it's is a, Austin? Who Who is Austin? Let's be honest. That's yeah. not, not an insult to Kofi. No one else nah, is nah. Austin. No. When, when Steve Austin does it, I feel like he's really thinking, you know, like, fuck you to the establishment. Mm. And I can really believe it. When Kofi does it and he's got a smile on his face and he's going like, tee hee hee, <laughs> it's just like, no. It, it just seems so fake. I only read the reports, so I haven't seen any of it. But they've... Uh, they got murdered by the Viking Raiders, didn't they? And they had a Viking funeral, apparently, on SmackDown. And then came back quite different, apparently, on last week's SmackDown. I only read the report, so I don't know how much flannel there is in there. But maybe Triple H is listening to you, Matt. Maybe he's read your Twitter and he's like, you know what? Maybe they do need to be a bit serious. I don't think how it matters. You... I think they're irredeemable in Matt's eyes. Yeah. Well, do you know what? They've been... How long have they been around? I mean, good God, they have been around the block oh, for a while. A seven, seven years, the New Day have been around. And actually, when you were talking about, old oh, man, them being the highlight of the show, or when the show's rubbish and they're being really enthusiastic, I can remember like 2015, late 2015, and I was still doing kind of the Daily Squash, and we were regularly talking about it, and I was like, oh, it's fucking atrocious. Like, it's so bad right now. Paul Taylor, I used to do the podcast with, was like, oh, yeah, but the New Day are amazing. The New Day are amazing. I was like... And he's like, they're the best thing on it. I was like, they are the best thing on it. And that's the problem. Like, they're a mid-card comedy act. They shouldn't be the best thing on the show. They should be fun. They should be great. And they should be, they've got their place. But they shouldn't be the best thing on it. Hmm. How did you feel about Big Edward winning the uh, the world title? <laughs> big E. Yeah. Big Big E tour. That's it. I couldn't think of his name. I was going to go with his full name. I couldn't, couldn't remember it. So I said Edward. It's Etor. Sorry, Vicky. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what you meant then. To be honest, pretty much the same. I'd say almost exactly the same thing sort of apply when it comes to Big E. And to be fair, like I, I've had people have a go at me um, about Big E. And again, I, I said it about Kofi. I'm sure he's an unbelievably nice guy. Xavier Woods, in fact, Xavier Woods, I've met. And I can say that he is a nice guy. Big E, exactly the same bet he's the nicest guy on the planet and absolutely hope he recovers from his injury hope he gets back in the ring but yeah just they those guys just for me they're not 
the top of the card. They don't feel it for me. You know, it's, when, when I go back and think of, you know, who've been the top champions and, you know, some of them I'll think, yeah, that, that's a top champion. When it comes to those guys, I just think, nah, not at all. Well, we're going to move on from this now, but I will uh, I, I will give you an example of a champion that I don't like that they've won the title. And it's not because they're a nice guy. Like, um, they haven't won the title because they're a nice guy. They won the title on numerous occasions, in fact. And they won it without that conversation even ever having to happen. And he is my figure of hate for next year. So I'm giving you a little uh, a little uh, teaser here. I, I, I reckon it's Orton. No, it's not Randy Ooh. Orton. I'm making a note of that. <laughs> it's Seth freaking Rollins. Ooh. There we go. So there you go. But I'm not going to say any more about that. We'll get on to that next year when mm. I start to really hate upon him. I think if we get some non-corporation stuff, I think you might be swayed like you have been with Edge this year and Jericho last year. By the end of last year, you, you had three Jericho t-shirts on during one record, <laughs> didn't you? You just changed them third yeah. of the way through. So Jericho, I did come around. I'm not not convinced I've come around to Edge this year, you know. I, I did come, you know, I absolutely did come around to Jericho, but Edge, I've actually might even have gone a little bit further in my dislike for him as we watched some of the stuff this year. I, Unless you can think of something specific, old man, I, I'm struggling. It's interesting you said that because when I said it, when the words came out of my mouth, I thought actually the stuff that we've watched this year has made me think a little, a little bit like I thought he was Val Venus level. <laughs> He's not. No. He's not Val Venus level, but I thought he was um, more consistent than I think we've seen. I'd be interested to see one of his matches with Cena, because that was where I was reading some of the other day. Basically, they were chucked together kind of just as like a filler thing. And they were basically like, right, we're going to fucking make each other and we're going to come out of this and we're going to be fucking gold for this company. I think that's kind of what they managed to do. But whether that was actually warranted, I don't know. I think, I mean, wasn't it that effectively because Rob Van Dam was WWE champion and then he got caught mm. by the police, that then they were like, right, now we've got to go back to Edge. I think that's basically yeah. what happened. Well, in fairness, he did have the WrestleMania 24 main event with The Undertaker. But that. that's probably peak Undertaker. So I think I could have probably had a three-star match for them. Well... We will, as I said, we'll explore all this. I'll, I'll no, explore. no, 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 no. I need to try. <laughs> I will do my uh, overall assessment of Edge come the end of the year, and then we'll be moving on to Seth Rollins. So expectations. We're covering today NWA Clash of the Champions 8, 4 Brawl 89. I know I mentioned it at the top of the show, but it's been a long time since the top of the show, so I thought I'd better remind <laughs> everyone. What were our expectations for the show? Oh, man, let's start with you. Well, I'll be honest, and we said this after we finished the record of last week's episode. I said to uh, Tom and Tinky that I wasn't really sure about this, and I really wasn't sure about it when I sat down to watch it. So to be honest, I was anticipating this being pretty crap. Not ghastly, but just really not very good. Obviously willing to give it a chance, open legs and all that, Tinky. (laughs) But yeah, to say that I had half a chub on would have been pushing it. You were a little bit extra chubbed by the fact that um, you saw the time on the video. I and then did you, indeed. You messaged the uh, WhatsApp group with it. Yeah, because it's an hour and 44 minutes long. Yeah, it's so a beautiful thing, isn't it? Very yeah. pleased with that, weren't you? I Matt, was. What, what were you? What were your thoughts? I must admit that my thoughts were uh, pretty much thinking, oh, thank God, when I saw that it was 144. I was like, oh, that's, that's amazing. I was like, hooray, a show that I can get through in a decent time. Yeah, I mean, when I looked at the card, I was like, yeah, okay, let's, let's see what it's got. It, I was thinking, it's probably going to be a bit basic for my taste, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that they were probably 
sort of in, in in the middle. They definitely weren't very high, and but they weren't too low either. See, Matt, Matt's done that naughty thing again, hasn't he? Yes. He's looked, right. he's looked at the card before the show. Yeah, shouldn't do that. I, I, don't, I don't do it all the time, but yeah, this one, I was like, I have to. I must say, if I'd looked at the card before I'd watched the show, I would have, my balls would have probably gone inside me. <laughs> well, fair enough. That's that's some, <laughs> it's extreme, it's an extreme reaction, but mm. whatever whatever does it for you. Um, I was really looking forward to it, in um, a sharp contrast to you. We have watched a few Clash of the Champions, and I find them to be two hours of short, sharp television action, which I can very much enjoy. Quite similar in in some ways, not in content necessarily, but just in style to Raw during the Attitude Era. Kind of basically, mm. here's a match, can be quite quick, can be quite long, involving quite over people. Here's a sort of vignette of some kind, interview over here, angle going on there. It is quite, you know, it's quite a happening thing. So I was looking forward to it. And also it's from before, I think it's like either just as or just before Jim Crockett sells up to Ted Turner. So this is not a WCWified show at this point. It's very much still the tail end of the Territories era Jim Crockett promotions NWA. So, again, another reason for me to kind of look forward to it. So talking points, I'm going to yield the floor. I have got something, but I figured this might be one that's difficult to get talking points out of. So I'm going to hand over to you guys first. Who wants to go first out of you two? You know what, Matt? I'll take this one because I did very much struggle. So I'm going to focus on one individual in this. Regular listeners of this will know quite a big fan of this guy. Big Sid. Big Sid Vicious. Mm. And so initially, so he is in a match with Ranger Ross and he comes down. I'm sure Tinky will expertly run us through. Comes down with Theodore R. Long, Teddy Long, obviously, as his manager, wearing a lovely Kangol bucket hat. And a guy called Dan Spivey, who was... Um, Waylon, Waylon Mercy. Thank you very much. The uh, Cape Fear guy. I thought it was the Sandman. <laughs> I think he looks and a I, bit like Steve Austin as well, if I'm honest. Yeah, but not as... I don't know, actually. I haven't seen him wrestle. He's got to be better than Sandman, surely. I think <laughs> we're better than Sandman. Yeah. <laughs> so what I loved about this is just how Sid's portrayed. So the commentators are Jim Ross and James T. Corner. It's a weird because... Jim Ross keeps flitting between James and Jim. He calls him Corny as well. And then he calls him Cornhole at one point. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, they are. I mean, we'll, we'll get into those lads a bit later. They're excellent. But they put over Sid something. I mean, and I was like, 1989 Sid. And I was like, he was in WWE in 91. And I was like, I did a little deep dive. He only started in 87, Sid, wrestling. And I mean, his match is about three minutes long here. Starting that. It's a minute. Yeah, yeah. He is such a badass. And it really made me think, God, I bloody love Sid. And then I thought, you know what? I wonder what happened after this. I wonder if he went on. So he unfortunately suffered a broken rib and a punctured lung during a match with the Steiner brothers in November 89. Clash of Champions 9. Clash of the Champions. I keep thinking it's Clash of Champions. Yeah, confusing. Because that would only be like, uh, too confusing. Don't forget the the. Yeah. So the Clash of Champions. <laughs> Uh, Clash of Champions, though. <laughs> you know what? This could be a Tyron Faxton of the Week. So he returned from his broken ribs and punctured lung on the May 11th, 1990 edition of NWA Power Hour and joined the Four Horsemen. And he was a 
He was said to be the muscle of the group. It's a group of fucking wrestlers. Why is he being the muscle, for God's sake? But he was initially brought in to counteract the strength of Robocop at Capital <laughs> Combat. Tyron Faxton of the week. He ain't taking that Robocop. It's Robocop. <laughs> I tell you what, Capital Combat, when we cover that, Matt's definitely on that show because I've got to see why he makes a Robocop in the ring. <laughs> oh, fuck it. <laughs> Do you reckon he'll think he's better or worse than Kofi Kingston? <laughs> I don't know, but you know what? We'll definitely ask him on the day. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of this through the show, but big some a big Sid guy. I wanted to focus on him. He's fucking great, and he said, I know we covered SummerSlam 991, and it was all a bit weird <laughs> at the end. So for those who haven't listened, go back and listen. So we go quite hard in on it, me, Tinky, and Gavin, and uh, he's great, and he said. Well, this is a minute-long match. It's against Ray. Ranger Ross, as you said, I don't think Ranger Ross has done anything else of note in his career other than this WCW run. In fact, this this WCW run doesn't even appear to have been much of note, to be honest. The thing I pulled out from this is that Vicious hits a DDT during this match. Yes. A DDT from Vicious. Unbelievable. And his powerbomb, in just a powerbomb, is an airplane spin, then a powerbomb. Unbelievable yeah. stuff. Yes, he absolutely squashes, squashes Ranger Ross here and looks pretty impressive in the process. And I think, to your point, oh man, the reason he only started in 87 and then got like big pushes everywhere went it's because he just looked like he could and should be a star unfortunately yeah. just didn't have the skill in the ring to, no. to pull it off well and he, he loved softball didn't he he did he, yeah so i was listening to it was a something to wrestle with and they were talking about him and apparently so he went to wcw and he made his excuses to leave he said he was injured and then he just played a softball season like he wasn't <laughs> injured at all he loved softball apparently well yeah. fair enough you've got to have your passions in life you have and it obviously was a wrestler let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Matt, what did you think of old Sid here? I'm quite happy to uh, to, to bask in the Sid love, to be honest, because I, I too think Sid is great. And you know, I, I apologise in advance because I tell you what, as, as far as this show goes, I'm going to end up repeating myself a hell of a lot. But basically, yes, yeah, Sid's great. And you know, let's go back and compare him to Kofi a minute just for a sec, <laughs> just, just for kicks. Sid, if I saw that guy walking down the street, I'd think, fuck, I wouldn't want to try and kick his ass. That's what I want to see. Somebody who looks hard and can beat the shit out of me. Sid ticks that box. But I'm going to respond to that, though, quickly before uh, you move on. Simply because, you know, obviously Sid Vicious is a big guy. He's a giant. You might call him a Goliath. Of course, Goliath's biggest rival was uh, David, a little boy. And it's one of the most famous fighting stories in the history of the world. So, Matt, carry on. <laughs> There's always an exception in there. But yeah, I mean, you know, Omar absolutely hit the nail on the head. Good showcase for Sid. Powerbomb at the end was cool. The, the match was about a minute. But you know what? He came across looking like a big fucking monster. Just what you want, Sid. What a man. It was a, it was a great TV squash. This is this is mm. just exactly what you want. Showcases how cool he is. His, his offensive moves beats a jobber. Sorry, Ranger Ross, but that's clearly what you are. Although he wasn't presented one. That's why I, that's why I'm making this yeah. point. Is because he got a proper entrance. Jim Ross and Jim Cornette were talking about him like, oh, Ranger Ross. He's got you know this guy's decent. He's got this that and the other. And I'm like, wow, they've really they've really gone to town in not trying to present this guy as a jobber, even though clearly he is. So it's, it's interesting. That. So a little thing about Ranger Ross. Just a little look. So he also went by the alter ego Pearl, which is a hundred percent apart from. Skinner, the alligator man, is the worst wrestling name I feel I've ever heard. Remember, you imagine that? And it's Sid. Sid Vicious against Pearl. Is uh, Pearl worse or better than Theory, Matt? 
Do you know what? Yeah, I kind of think it's worse. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is worse. It definitely is worse. Uh, he wrestled for 21 years from 86 to January 2007. Not as well, Pearl. No. Well, I don't know, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. To be honest, the post on cagematch.net is very small. Matt, what was your talking point? I was struggling for a talking point as well this week. Now, luckily, I managed to come up with one. Otherwise, I'd be saying nothing at this point. Um, <laughs> the, this show, as a whole... I don't think was very memorable. But that being said, I will remember this show for a very, very long time, I think. And for a specific reason. Yeah, I already saw some tits in the crowd. <laughs> and do you know what? I'm going to try and relate it to, to something that that I've seen sort of, you know, in, in the wrestling Twitterverse this week. This relates a bit to Billy Gunn was interviewed this week. And basically he was quoted as telling wrestlers, you know, how to, or AEW wrestlers, how to slow down and how they should be things mean more and they don't need to do a million flips and, and all that type of stuff and and you know and the crowd will appreciate it more if ever there was an example to show those wrestlers it's this show what blew me away from start to finish is the crowd this crowd lapped up every single move every single facial expression for every match start to finish I'd go so far as to say it's one of the best crowds I think I've ever seen. And I, I was thinking back, and I was, you know, thinking back the entire show. Other than the, the Doomsday Device by the Road Warriors, I think probably the most complex or complicated or even flashy move, if you want to call it that, throughout the entire show was maybe a superplex? Other than that, it was arm drags, it was stomps, it was things in the corner, chops nothing remotely difficult nothing remotely taxing or anything like that but the crowd went batshit and the amount of times i have written in my notes it's at least 20 the crowd would have gone batshit it just blows my mind the little things they almost every person on this show made the tiniest thing matter to the point of i'll have to go back and double check my notes right but one of the matches had like 10 arm drags in a row i was like dear god but the crowd were loving it and i was like if you can get them to think you're an absolute friggin superstar for multiple arm drags you you've got it you've got them so this crowd for me the show as a whole like i said i I can't say it was my favorite in the world but the crowd made this far more memorable than it would have been otherwise i'm going to take personal offense to this matt roberts because it takes billy gunn to say it for you to accept what i've been saying for at least a year (laughs) to be honest which is you don't fucking need really, really technical, fast-paced, hard work rate wrestling to make people excited and to get a successful promotion. That's what you've just said. But basically quoting Billy Gunn rather than me from the last <laughs> year of talking to you about this. That's what Mr. Yeah, but... Ass says, so it must be true. <laughs> well, hang on, Tinky. You're not the best pure athlete in AEW today, are you? That is very true. Yeah. Very true. I mean, I was close. I was second, but Billy Gunn was there. What can <laughs> well, you do? I had, I had to see it. I had to see it for myself and figure it out. Can you imagine? You're there, right? And you're Kenny Omega. Widely regarded as one of one of the better workers in the world by many people. And Billy Gunn is trying to tell you how to do your job. I know he's not addressing him directly, he's addressing many of the other wrestlers. Even the young bucks must be like, you're a fucking shit worker. 
You had to work with Road Dog to get over. Road Dog. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what though. I mean, the, the the choice of word is interesting because worker is the key is the word there. So they are. I don't think the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega are great workers. They're great wrestlers. They mm. are great athletes, but they don't really work the crowd at all. Quite frankly, mm. the Young Bucks do a little bit. I think their Young Bucks are actually very good at working the crowd into believing that they are complete and utter tits, and they probably are complete and utter tits. When you said that there was a pair of tits in the crowd, I figured it might be the young bucks um but kenny omega is not a good worker as far as i'm concerned I, he doesn't work me into feeling anything i mean he's a great in-ring wrestler but he doesn't really i mean i i gotta be honest i haven't seen his japanese stuff so i can't i can't uh comment on that stuff and i'm sure steven would be telling me right now all stuff with okada was genuinely emotional and dramatic but for me he doesn't make me feel much and i think for me that's the definition of a worker not how good you are technically mm. as a wrestler so you said Billy Gunn's one of the greats. Uh, well, I may, I may, may be. I may be by association there. I am. I mean, he, he is the best pure athlete in AEW today. So what do you want? Yeah. Philosophically, at least, anyway. <laughs> He's still the best pure worker in WWE, even though he left God knows how many years ago. They, they still have his sign up every show they do. This is, <laughs> this is to what, something to aspire to. So the interesting you talk about the crowd, because there's only 2,600 of them in mm. this. And you're right. They sound so loud all the way through. Partially, I think that's really good audio miking i'm sure but at the same time you're right they're just you can see they're just really up for it in fact there's one i can't remember what match it is but there's one example where the, there's a lady in the front row of the hard camera side and she is like literally jumping up and down absolutely yeah. beside herself with excitement for somebody i said i can't remember exactly who it is but it was just like wow this crowd are so into this it's amazing i think they didn't slow down that the, no. that's what got me i was like they did not slow down they kept going right up until the main event which is exactly how it should be. You want that to build, 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 and right for the main event. Jizz everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so bad. That, that's exactly what we want. Jizz yeah. everywhere. So at the start of the show, we started talking about, I may have come around to Chris Jericho, may have come around to Edge, who knows. One person who I have come around to over the last 20 months doing this podcast, and I never thought I'd say this, Lex Luger. So this is... This match with uh, Tommy Rich, he has a match here with Tommy Rich, is ten and a half minutes long. It's for the United States Heavyweight title. The end of the match comes when Lex Luger dra- drops him on the top rope in a jawbreaker type thing. But it's, that's not important. The result's not important, really, because it was obvious Lex Luger was going to win. He's in there with Tommy Rich, who looks decidedly less impressive from a physique perspective. And they are obviously building Lex Luger. Luger's the, supposed to be the star here, although Tommy Rich had previously been NWA world champion earlier in the 80s. And uh, not for very long, and it was a bit of a, a upset victory, and it wasn't very, it wasn't a long title reign. But... Hey, poor Tommy Rich, come well, on, man. He won it. He won it. I mean, he was the Kofi Kingston of his time. So... <laughs> but you know what? This is the second time this year where I've been like, you know what? He can go. He can actually go. I think he more often than not doesn't and more often than not is rubbish and this is a really as you said basic one-dimensional match there's lots of punches lots of kicks not a lot in the way of technical moves not a lot in the way of certainly no high-flying stuff but it's really fast they they go at a good lick for 10 minutes here and luger given his physique you'd have thought he might be blowing out of his ass but he goes all the way through this and i just thought this is a really decent really decent match i was shocked by how much i enjoyed this match i thought tommy rich played his part don't get me wrong so i did want to give him his flowers but 
but I thought, yeah, I, I, again, I'm kind of like, there's a side to Luger that I can almost get on board with, finally. And I've never seen it before. Luger has always been, to me, one of the least impressive wrestlers I've ever seen. Mainly because when I got in, into wrestling, he was in his 93, 94, and 95 stretch in the WWE, where he was god-awful. And then after that in WCW, where he was probably even worse. So, to see him like this, was just it's just really been an eye-opener. And there's been a couple of times this year where we've seen it with Lex Luger. I thought this was fan-fucking-tastic, this match. Like you said, there's nothing flashy in it. They just start, like you said, Tiki, they just start hot. And then Luca kind of dominates a little bit. And then he starts to get frustrated because he can't do what he basically wants to do. And, oh, Jim Cornette does a fantastic job of putting over Tommy Richard at the start. And he's saying that he's he's basically saying that this guy's the wrestler. Luca's the powerhouse. So this ain't going to be no walkover. And they really play into a while. And there's this wonderful bit where Tommy Rich goes for a drop kick which is a weird drop kick not the most elegant thing I've ever seen but Luger backs away and he's just grabbing onto the rope Luger he's just like couldn't wait to get away and he just holds himself there and he looks exhausted it's only about four minutes in I think he looks spent and he looks so happy to have missed the drop kick I just thought they just got every second out of this 10 minutes and 36 and I thought this is the best match of Luger I've ever seen and that's the second time I've said that this year (laughs) And I'm not sure yet. We'll find out. This is very close to being my match of the night. And Tommy Rich is my MVP Mm. because I think he is. He's his hair looks like a helmet. He doesn't look like a wrestler, really. He looks like a wrestler from 1989, whereas Lex Luger looks like a fucking god. And they just tell a fucking lovely, lovely little story. I loved before the end when they go to the outside. And to your point, Matt, about the crowd, the crowd explode when they go outside and Tommy Rich punches Luger and he's got him against the ring post outside and then Luger ducks and he punches the ring post he goes ah fucking out my hand and then it's just before the finish he gets him up they get up on the ropes and Tommy Rich is on the inside Luger's on the outside Tommy Rich punches him and he recoils because he's hurt his hand and then he puts him in this in a chokehold while well, sleeper hold and that's when the kind of jawbreaker type thing over the rope happens and that's the finish oh that's great unbelievable there is a pin off a Luther's press as well but with no punches there's a pin and Luger gets out of there with his foot on the ropes even I popped for that and I was like bloody hell I am enjoying this <laughs> oh, great stuff just really great there's a superplex that Luger does from the second rope Tommy Rich is sat on the bit between the ring post and the top turnbuckle and he just powers him up and I was like fuck me that is incredible because there's no way that Tommy Rich can help him like he's got nothing to push off on great stuff go on Luger I, I agree with you as well about Cornette's commentary and Jim Ross's commentary they really do put over Tommy Rich really mm. well here really bigging up the fact that he was NWA world champion he was NWA world champion for four days so I mean, that hey, gives you some example of he, he's, he's one of the greats but the point is, is that that's wrestling 101, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. we have a guy who was the NWA world champion. Eight years later, he's in a match for the United States title. We don't need to tell people that it was four days. We don't need to tell people that it was a transitional championship. It wasn't even like it wasn't important. In fact, it wasn't even a transitional championship because he won it from Harley Race and won it and gave it back to Harley Race four days later. So it wasn't even transitional. It was just, I don't know, someone someone had a kind of change of heart like a day after he, he won the title or something. But the point is, is that you don't have to say any of that. 
you just go this guy this guy was an NWA world champion let's not forget this guy's a great wrestler and they really did a good job of putting him over I thought do you know what guys whenever it comes to Lex Luger I, I don't know if maybe I'm the good luck charm or whatever I, I don't know but I've yet to see a lot of bad stuff from Lex Luger and I really enjoy him and this was once again no exception I'm definitely going to struggle on things to say because I think it's literally already been all said but yeah I mean again like you know like I said earlier on I mean th- this match was like the the rest of the show it, it was basic but the crowd went into every little thing that they did I mean hell yeah I mean you know you said it all man how often do you get a near fall off a friggin Luther's press you know and people going crazy for something that's that simple but they did Th- things like you know Luger you know, posing in the middle of the match just crowd booed the shit out of him for it if you can get by in your match by getting the crowd going to buy just by posing and taunting like I said you're on to a winner you know the the superplex was great the commentary did help for me personally because believe it or not never heard of Tommy Rich um so I was like who the hell is this guy so that helped me out as far as being a babyface goes bloody hell I mean to me he felt like the world's biggest babyface with with the crowd seemingly on his side for this the the finish you know was great like I said when you're outside the punch into the ring post that he missed that was just executed perfectly I just can't even say it enough like how simple and basic it was just dropping him over the top rope which you see a hundred times you know in matches today and think nothing of it but you could buy it as a finish in this match and that's what you want you want to be able to buy something as a finish and it was and this was great this was very nearly my match of the night as well um so yeah thoroughly enjoyed this i want to address uh the the, the basic because you've used that a lot simple and basic and, and you're right it is from a physical and technical perspective it is but actually i think this is far more complex than what we see today okay. because this isn't the result of just what they're doing in this match this is the result of the discipline that the promotion has had week in week out show after show after show of not overdoing stuff of not giving loads of stuff away of promoting these wrestlers as superstars all the time this is not simple or basic this is really hard to do and we see it all the time because the wrestling struggles to do it now wrestling really struggles to make people care about anyone unless they do the not basic technical and athletic stuff so i do agree it's it's basic from an athletic and technical perspective but there's nothing basic about why it's able to stay over and that's because there's discipline behind what is going on the booking team aren't finding ways every single week of trying to go out of their way to pop the crowd through some kind of elaborate setup triple team maneuver kind of thing they are actually sticking very rigidly to a way of promoting wrestling that means that people aren't getting burnt out that they aren't expecting to see a surprise every week or a huge dive every week or anything like that it's really really complex to to get to this stage and unfortunately it's probably even more complex now because we've just spent the last 20 years uh basically trying to shock people and surprise people every single week to the point where it would take a humongous effort to get you back to a point where you could do the stuff that was as technically and athletically simple as this i totally agree with you there i mean just to sort of clarify, I think pretty much when I use the term basic, I am pretty much more talking, you know, sort of mechanically. And, yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of specific, I think, you know, we, we know that, but that's a good point. One of the reasons why, again, yes, I think that it's probably so hard today, and, you know, we, we've all talked about this in the past as well, is that there's just so much freaking bloody content on, and there's just so many hours of wrestling TV per week that it's got to a point where, you know, a lot of the guys feel like they have to do 450s, 630s, and double team pile drivers and all this 
this shit just to just to stand out and it's crazy and they shouldn't have to but that is how it seems to be today i don't think they do i, I think they have to do more than there is on this show but i don't think they have to do the amount that they do do but what it does rely on them having now i go back to it yet again is storytelling and someone putting the effort in to tell these stories and they just aren't doing it i watched aw the we haven't seen all out yet although we re- we will have covered it last week as this show goes out which is why this show is going out quite late given when we're recording it but i watched before that a couple of weeks before the cm punk uh john moxie match which i thought was really interesting different kind of got people talking shock value all that that wasn't my problem and i don't want to go into the booking of that at all what i want to go into is the response by the promotion immediately after it within three four minutes they were moving on to something else and i'm like what are you doing dwell on this for like 10 minutes cm punk your former world champion probably biggest star in the company is on the floor he's injured let's stay with this let's get some reaction to it they did an interview later on in the night with john moxley where he was backstage i said wait until you can get him backstage then do the interview backstage and make all one segment make people think this was really important because it was and so it's those kinds of things that i think wrestling isn't doing well and it obviously is more complex than we give it credit for because they don't do it well at all these days so who's still doing it well tommy rich <laughs> still still going wow yeah yeah he's still so in 2021 he feuded with jerry Lawler. <laughs> amazing oh, and, he, and he just recently uh failed in an attempt to win the lineal lineal world title for one man crew at pro wrestling king uh, uh independent promotion based in michigan so uh, oh. there you go that was only recently as well i bloody love a bit what was it slap alley wrestling was that what it's called <laughs> that's the one yeah that's well the done, one. so uh let's take a break there and we will come back and cover all the rest of the show which is actually quite a lot so the second half might be mm. very heavy compared yeah to this it could be well. epic who knows strap in slags i'll leave you at that <laughs> The fabulous Freebirds are the world tag team champions. In just about two and a half minutes, they will be defending those titles against the Steiners. I think you'd have to admit in your collective careers, gentlemen, the toughest challenge of your life. There's no doubt in my mind, Mr. S, it's going to be a tough stinking match. But every stinking night we have a tough match. And the fact is this, we're still the world tag team champions. Not the Road Warriors, not the Skyscrapers, not the Midnight Express. And it's not going to be the stinking Steiners because we just don't talk a good fight. We deliver. Tell them, Michael. You know something, Gordon Sully? I'm sick and tired. I'm getting no respect around here. Let me tell you something. Three months ago at the last clash, we won the world titles the first time we went up for them. And tonight, we will walk out of the ring again, world champions. And you don't have to like it. You don't have to love it. But you better learn how to live with it. World Tag Team Championship match coming up right after we pause for these messages. Okay, welcome back to the show. And we're all off very soon to see Slapnuts Wrestling, was it? That's that's what you were. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember, to be honest. No, Slapnuts Wrestling. Um, Jeff Jarrett's new venture, no doubt. <laughs> he has, at the time of recording, just been relieved of his duties with WWE, isn't he? Oh, interesting. Yeah, apparently Triple H is not a Jeff Jarrett guy, because three H's is better than two G's. That's what he thinks, anyway. <laughs> well, I tell you what, what's happened there, obviously, is that this is payback for Road Dog because Jeff Jarrett took credit for With My Baby Tonight. That's what it's yes. all about. Yes! All comes back to the same stuff. That's Unbelievable. Well, before we go off to Slapnuts Wrestling, we have got the rest <laughs> of the show to cover, and we 
we start with a video package showing off the various titles in the NWA at the time. There was one title at the end. I can't. I didn't take notice of it, but I think it was something like the Central States Championship or something. So this would have been one of the hangovers of the Territory era and some of the promotions that Jim Crockett had taken over at the time. We then get some video footage of Terry Funk and the Great Muta attacking Ric Flair. Doug Dillinger runs in and tries to save him, but gets taken out. And then Sting runs in to make the save. Our commentators for the night are Jim Ross and Jim Cornette. And old man, you've already said that they were very good, but I didn't know if you wanted to touch upon it a little bit further. Um, not necessarily. There'll be a couple of things that'll come up in the show, but they're just very good. They concentrate on the action. They ain't interested in no fucking shenanigans. They got fucking Gordon Soli for that. Born old fucker. <laughs> and to Matt's point, with the Lex Luger-Tommy Rich match, that explanation of who Tommy Rich is is so important because they must have known that, what was it, 33 years later, some people would be watching it and they wouldn't know who they are. And there's a respect for the audience there as well, I think, because they're not assuming knowledge. The thing is, is if your if your assumption, and it, as it should be in my view, is that people could be flicking through the channel, see the wrestling, go, I'll have a little bit of this. Mm. That doesn't mean they watch regularly or at all. But if you're then explaining who this person is, and they're sat, sat down watching this match that starts, Lex Luger versus Tony Rich, you're giving them a little bit of context for who they are. That's what you should be doing. You know, I think that is... I, you know, I think the problem is, is that I go back to something that I said three or four months ago, CM Punk recently, well, not recently now, but on Twitter earlier this year said that there are no casual fans anymore. And I'm like, well, the reason if that's the truth, which I don't believe it is, but if that is the truth, that's because you've already like basically sent them all packing because you don't cater to them whatsoever anymore. You assume everybody now is watching everything. And it's just, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, ultimately. Ultimately, That's a very silly statement, isn't it? Yeah, really silly. I, I, I you know, for me, it was like, I have some serious issues with the way CM Punk views wrestling. And I think that mm. that really highlighted it for me. You know, it, it goes back in honest, all honesty to the Pipe Bomb promo, which no doubt we all loved very much on this podcast, I'm sure. And I remember us watching mm. it when we lived together, old man, when Tom, we probably watched it time and time again but nobody who wasn't a hardcore wrestling fan knew what the fuck he was talking about and no. it, and to be honest it reflected that was reflected in the pay-per-view buy rate because it really didn't do that great business and nor did the SummerSlam that followed it was, it was actually a really quite poor poorly received SummerSlam in terms of the pay-per-view buying public so for me this is the issue is that he's just so hung up on people who know every single ounce of backstage nonsense but you shouldn't be playing to that crowd because they'll be there anyway so play to the crowd that don't watch every single week and aren't necessarily deep into this stuff mm. perhaps perhaps slap nuts wrestling is the way to go i think so we're all on the jeff jarrett slap nuts wrestling bandwagon <laughs> Go on, Jeff. The other thing, that, the only other thing that I thought about this was that it reminded me of when Jim Ross and Paul Heyman commentated mm. together for a little bit in 2001. And during that period, there was definitely, I can't, I can't remember it quite vividly, but I can't remember what event it was. There's a bit where Jim Ross says to Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman saying that you couldn't do this job without me. And Jim Ross says, hey, Jim Cornette could, could replace you tomorrow, pal. That's all I could remember. It's just that one line. I was thinking about this the other day. I can't remember why, but I was thinking about WrestleMania 17 and how different if different (laughs) yeah how different it would have been if it had been jr and the king Mm -hmm. because Heyman is probably the mvp of that show because he is riding jr like norman smiley rode terry funk (laughs) 
in that hardcore match we watched, and he riles him up, and that's like like Jr. said, didn't he? So when he's when he's riled up, that's when he's good. That's when he's really, really fucking good. Is when he's riled up, he gets his teeth into it, gets his cowboy hat off, shirt off, dick out. Put your shirt back on, put your dick back in, Jr. <laughs> yeah, we didn't see that. Yeah, no, he, he balances cow his cowboy hat on his fully erect penis. <laughs> So next up, JR says that there are rumours about Gary Hart backstage and Cornette says the rumours may not be good for Gary Hart. So then we go backstage to Gordon Soley, who is with Gary Hart. Hart says that there are no problems in his camp and the rumours are probably coming from Ric Flair and Sting. He says tonight could be the end of Flair and Sting's career. The word camp is used an awful lot during this little segment. <laughs> They're talking about, oh, is, is it all bad in yours camp? No, everything's good in my camp. Oh, are you sure everything's good in your camp? Constantly saying the word camp. Camp. There's then an ad break and we get our first match. Anything you want to say there before I move on to that first match? Yeah, this Gordon Soley Gary Hart love affair <laughs> that goes through the show. I didn't have a clue what was going on until the last one. I didn't know what was going on. No, because there's there's no explanation until the last bit about what's properly happened to Terry Funk and why they're talking about. And I'm just like, why wouldn't he be there? And then I thought his horses might be ill again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I think I, I agree with you here, but I think it's not because they don't explain it to the end it's, they're not positioning it very clearly so mm. you know jim ross and jim Cornette are saying oh there's there's rumors about something bad and then gordon Soley's kind of like well is there something bad gary hart and he's like no there's nothing bad in my camp and then he says all the rumors must be coming from rick flair i just felt they could have said you know there's rumors flying around backstage that something's wrong with gary hart's tag team and then gordon Soley pressing him on it and then and then perhaps gary hart saying no i don't know what you've heard but there's nothing wrong everything's fine everything's in order you know like my guys are going to go out there and beat rick flair and sting later on and that would have done and then mm. progressively over the night they could have revealed what has happened to Terry Funk because I think the idea is that the audience aren't supposed to know what's happened to Terry Funk yet it's just that it's not well positioned in, in that way and I think to be honest this is a criticism that WSW could be levelled at them pretty much their entire run if I'm honest yeah and also Gordon Soley isn't it <laughs> well I know you don't like him I get that see now that's interesting to me because uh, well in my camp anyway um, I, I, I've always heard oh, that, hello. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've always heard really good things about Gordon Soley this was the first time I'd actually seen him and don't get me wrong I mean I suppose it might not be fair to you know compare his entire career based solely on this show but I definitely didn't see what they've been saying <laughs> put, it, put it that way but I said I think there's two things about this I, I've said this last time as well so first of all when Gordon Soley was I think he was the commentator for Championship Wrestling from Florida during the Territories age when he was the commentator that was an era where your play-by-play guy had to be as straight as an arrow straight as a die basically because all of your wrestlers were a little bit less charismatic than they might be you know later on so he really had to be as straight as as a die so that they looked charismatic in comparison um also he worked mainly as a commentator not uh an interviewer although he did do that as well within championship wrestling from florida because what you used to have is like a general host of the show as opposed to just a commentator so they sort of stand in front of the championship wrestling from florida sign and he'd go welcome to tonight's show blah 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 and then he'd go in the meantime i've got so and so with me right now and then you know, dusty Rhodes, for example would take the mic and do his thing then they go to the ring and gordon Soley would do the commentary so i think by this point he is now becoming outdated and there's a different style to the way things are 
done, especially when you compare what was going on in WWE at the time with Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan and all those kinds of guys on screen. But for me, it's all about place and the context around them. And I just I think by this point, it wasn't the same place. You know, if, if he was, you know, sort of bland to make people stand out next to him, then in that case, goal achieved. Our first match of the night is the Road Warriors against the Samoan SWAT team. The Samoan top team are Samu and Fatu, later on to be the Head Shrinkers, and of course Fatu later to be Rakishi. Uh, Samu and Fatu are accompanied by Paul E. Dangerously. This match goes for seven minutes, and it ends when the Road Warriors hit the Doomsday device on Fatu and then get the pin. What were your thoughts on this one, Matt? I'm going to do my very best to avoid using the word basic for the rest of the show. It should almost be like a bingo thing going on that uh, you get a point every time I say the word. That's a great point, though. That's what wrestling should do. There should be a system where they they tell tell themselves, we're not using this word. Not words, not a good example, because we've had a lot of that with WWE. But we're not using this booking crutch because we do it all the time. We're not going to use that for a year. You know, we're not going to use a distraction roll-up for a year, for example, which they used to do like all the fucking time. You know, so they they should. that's a good point. They should do stuff like that. So I, I endorse the, the the thing that you said there where you're not allowed to use the word basic in relation to wrestling action <laughs> it, just imagine as well if they like donated to charity or something every time they did it I mean they, they'd be breaking records for like the Connor's Cure and everything every bloody week the way um, you said Connor's Cure then it was almost as if it rhymed with Kofi Kingston it was like properly <laughs> disdainful yeah well that's another thing I'll do my best not to mention uh, his name again throughout the rest of the show either we've got it we've got our topic for next time why does Matt hate Connor's Cure lovely <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be honest, right? And it was a lovely thing that happened. Don't do his work for him, man. I want him to have to justify the fucking, <laughs> the fucking shameless jumping on what is now sadly a deceased boy's basically thing, so that they could get a nice publicity bump. Was fucking appalling, wasn't it? And you know, it what? was absolutely just, disgusting. You know what? It didn't help that around about the same time maybe before maybe after i can't remember exactly stephanie McMahon had literally said publicly about the fact i can't remember the exact wording but basically she made the point that charity is a really important pr thing for a corporation uh-huh. to do and you're like you put those two things together and the word for it is once again grubby which i've used a couple of times mm-hmm. recently bad form steph and anyway so th- this opener do you know what? i'm gonna go ahead and actually call it my match of the night as well i struggled when i was thinking of the show as a Whole as to what my match of the night was, and there were a couple of contenders. So I thoroughly enjoyed this one. So I'm going to go ahead and, and bestow that honor upon it. It would, you know, it was again. I was trying so hard not to use the word. Oh my god, it was technically sound. <laughs> <laughs> shall oh, we right, say right. that's there we are that's a good start and you know, in fact here's, here's a good quote would have gone it's just it was a fantastic example of less is more the road warriors were over like anybody you'd ever seen i will admit that the samoan swat team is quite possibly the best tag team name that i never heard of until this point and i wanted to be used again because it's fantastic the only sort of minor complaint that i had about the match and, and maybe i'm wrong about it is that the with they used the phone in the match mm. as a weapon the ref happened to see it now i don't know if he fucked up there and you know he just happened to turn around at the wrong time but he hit him with a weapon and didn't disqualify him so i was like okay that was a bit let's just say that was a mistake maybe it wasn't but didn't like that but yeah i mean again you know it was good like it wasn't wasn't the longest match in the world but the finish i thought was excellent and you know based on all the other moves in the match it sure as hell stood out and it is a really sort of devastating 
leading finish out anyway, to be honest. And this was really good. Thoroughly enjoyed this. Great start to the show. Yes, I had the note. That was my one negative as well, was how was Hawk not DQ'd because he uses the phone. So we've talked about the Road Warriors, Legion of Doom, before on this show and how they're not very good. They're a very rudimentary tag team that were effectively... Oh, nice. nice way of yeah. not saying basic, lovely. Yeah, they were effectively Hawk getting beaten down, Animal making a save, Doomsday device. Yeah, this is... As a match, this is just good. Animal starts so fucking fast and hot in this match. I was like, Jesus, where's this fucking fire been in the last 400 Road Warrior matches that I watched that have been exactly the same? And then they, there's loads of quick tags. I'm waiting for it. And I'm like, maybe they're not going to do it. Maybe Hulk's not going to get beaten down. And it happens. He gets beaten down for a couple of minutes. Better late than never. <laughs> But overall, I thought this match, I this was a cracking way to start the match. There's a really good pace to it. They do their Road Warrior thing, but it was so much better than the Road Warrior thing that normally is. And I think that's a tribute to the Samoan SWAT team as well, because I thought they would play their part very well. I was also, so there's a bit with the phone and Hawk goes outside the ring to get the phone, but Animal's already got it. And then Hawk gets back in the ring straight away. It's so impressive how quick he did all of this. Because he goes out the middle rope, goes to the floor, underneath the bottom rope. He's in and out, well, out and in, within about a second and a half. I was like, Jesus, that was impressive. And then the match finished. And I was like, you know what? I'll take a bit more of this. The pace of this match was significantly faster than I was expecting pretty much anything to be on this card. So I was like, you know what? Here we fucking go. Maybe 1989 is the year for me, Tinky. <laughs> not another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. I think this is a really very decent opener. Really quite fast-paced. Exciting. The Smone Swap team are very good. I always like the Hedge Rinkers. I think they're a good tag team. And I have not seen much of their stuff in WCW, but this backs it up again. Obviously, early in their career. Very good. Different time, obviously. Different time for for the presentation of Samoan wrestlers and thankfully that has dramatically improved since this period but with that aside they're very very impressive the Road Warriors are super over which is what what is what is their thing you know as you said old man they're a bit rubbish in the ring but doesn't matter does it they're just super over they're so popular and they look badass and they look like they would kill you if you got in the ring with them I would ordinarily expect a good Road Warriors match to only last four four minutes or so because you don't want to overexpose them and you want them to maintain their sort of sense of being dominant mm. they didn't hurt themselves by going six and a half minutes here it's still stuck to a, you know it still made them look great but at the same time made the Samoan SWAT team look decent too because they were able to hang with the Road Warriors for that long and were only beaten because of the cheating that Hawk did with the with the phone which I also have a no on and I just think actually in this case the referee calls should call an audible should just disqualify the Road Warriors and, and then they can go look the, the sneaky heel manager set it up so that they get disqualified even though he introduced the phone to the match it just would have made the match make sense in that respect so that was a shame but yeah I agree it was a, a really decent opener go on the Road Warriors best tag team ever <laughs> Well, arguably, they are. <laughs> so then we had another ad break, and then it's uh, an advert. It's coming. Do you know that? It is coming. It's coming. <laughs> Halloween <laughs> hat. It's coming. You definitely know that after this advert. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think you've got Sting, Lex Luger, possibly, uh, I can't remember who the other person is, and then Ric Flair saying it's coming. But Ric Flair's, don't, you don't hear the old audio on his, you just hear this voiceover guy say, it's coming, at the time his mouth moves. It's very strange. The way Lex did it, I've never seen somebody say the words, it's coming, with so much intensity. Oh my God. It, it, was, it reminded me a little bit of the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, thing. Uh, uh, every time I lift weights, I feel like I'm calming, I'm That's calming. The- 
Yeah. Match number two is the Z-Man against the Cuban assassin in a three and a half minute match. Jim Cornette calls the Cuban assassin Fidel's favorite wrestler. This ends when Z-Man applies a sleeper encounter to a clothesline, which Z-Man then wins with that sleeper. And that's the end of the match. So very much trying to set up the Z-Man here. Old man. So Z-Mullet, as he should be known. (laughs) Yeah, because that mullet is fucking fantastic. This is Tom Zink, isn't it? It is Tom Zink, yeah. Yeah, cool. So we've got Tom Zink in his debut, debut match. And uh, the 10-year veteran, the Cuban assassin, this is absolutely fine. This does exactly what it needs to do. I found the end with the sleeper very swift. But then if it's a sleeper and you go to sleep and they don't use the sleeper. And it is apart from one other match, they don't use the sleeper again. So it kind of makes sense. But I thought this was absolutely fine. Probably not for me on one of their bigger cards of the year. But then I was like, I wrote that down and I was like, well, hang on. This is just on TBS. This isn't a pay-per-view, well, sorry, a premium live event or a pay-per-view. But yeah, this was absolutely fine. I don't really like Tom Sink, to be honest. We watched uh, maybe one, maybe two of his matches. He's not very good, to be honest. The Cuban assassin. Why is he killing people? Don't do it. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought this was absolutely fine. There's not a whole lot to hate about this because it kind of is a squash kind of but there's enough there that you're like oh, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of this said man when I first heard the guys in this match I actually thought they said Seaman and I thought they were taking oh. the piss I, honest to god and I thought they were taking the piss and I did, when, they, when he came out I was like oh Z-Man I was like right okay so it did take me a minute to, to calm down from that because I just thought what the fuck oh, is that oh, about oh fucking bet <laughs> I mean to, to be fair I, I can actually see them going with that but they, there we go. Thank God they didn't. This almost reminds me of like, of this was like a sort of training session. You know, they're just going to sort of, just a showcase session, basically, you know, to the crowd. Hey, this is what we can do. This is what wrestlers do. This is an arm drag. This is a drop kick. It, it was very inoffensive. It wasn't bad. It, it, it wasn't particularly good. It was just we're having a match this is how it's done uh, it was it was absolutely fine I think he said it best up and nothing to you know to hate about it you don't get that many sleeper finish or at least you definitely don't today you know to, then it was a bit different but the sleeper finish was fine yeah you know this this was perfectly adequate is probably the best way I can describe this yeah, there's not a lot to say, is there? Uh, it was three minutes. That was a squash. It's the kind of thing you'd see on the weekend television every single week, basically, at the time. One kind of guy that you're trying to get over, another guy that's really just there to job out. And that's what it was. I don't know how successful it was in the end. I'm not sure Z, the Z-Man had an amazing run in WCW or Jim Crockett at any time. And uh, this would have obviously not been long after his run with the WWF as part of the Can-Am connection. So not a lot to say about it. It was it was OK. After this match, we get Governor Carol Cam declaring it Ric Flair Day in wherever they are. I can't remember where exactly it is. Uh, South Carolina. The main thing that I was trying to catch up with here was that Carol Campbell is not a woman. No. Which is very what, strange to me. I'll tell you what else they aren't, and that's charismatic <laughs> in any way, shape or form. It's so bad, Ric Flair almost either falls asleep or goes off, gets drunk and fucks loads of women because she's chatting so long. So I was confused as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I put down, you know, Ric Flair does not look like he could give a shit about this honour. <laughs> yes, and she, the Carol, I just said, I was just about to say she again to Carol, about Carol Campbell. Uh, Carol Campbell also says that one of the reasons why he is being celebrated today is because of his unique ability through his styling and profiling. This is a, a, a politician saying this. I, <laughs> I find it amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. But 
Lucy, she fuck me. I can't <laughs> stop her either thinking. Carol. Carol's a woman. It's a woman's yeah. name. <laughs> well, well, you have got Carol Paborski. Yeah, but that's that's spelled entirely different. That's with a K and E and everything. Mm. So it's talks about starting in profiling. Whereas that's basically him just going around fucking loads of women. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's what he's being honoured for. That's what he's being honoured for. Yeah, yeah, for for a space mountain. So after the whole uh, thing presented with what is effectively a, a framed piece of paper, uh, we get the Ranger Ross Sid Vicious match, and then we have what I suspect, if Tom had been on the show this week, would be his favourite part of the show because Jim Ross and Jim Jim Cornette straight to camera introduce a special feature, which is Missy Hyatt and Robin Green, or the future woman, or Nancy Sullivan, or Nancy Benoit, shopping around town. They're going. They're driving around town in a limo they go in a shop the sound quality is really really poor kind of a bloody thing they're saying they drive again around a little bit they go to a jewelry store all the while it's clear that robin is paying on a charge card i don't know whose charge card but a charge card they really hone in on the fact that she's she's charging it to this card they then load up the chauffeur with all of the shopping bags although it appears that all the bags are from robin and not missy hyatt uh, matt i'm going to come to you because i assume this is where the show really peaked <laughs> Do you know what? I was literally about to say then, right? Do you know what? I I just want to, you know, sort of clear it up, you know, and to stop from adding to the vicious rumour that, you know, I hate fun in wrestling, but th- th- this is only going to add to it because... Well, hang oh. on, man. This this is fun and women. It's the, <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the double, double whammy from that. Yeah. What the fuck was this about? <laughs> I mean, I literally, that that's pretty much what my notes were. I mean, it came out. I was like, what? is this i mean I, I literally expected it to be over in like you know 20 seconds and it just kept going okay they're shopping that's that's great why do i care with where's my wrestling this is this is what i wanted to watch this is what i come on a podcast to talk about what the fuck am i watching them shopping for again i like fun i like women's wrestling i don't, be- I don't believe you i don't believe you ah, I tell you, that's going to be my task by one of the one of the next podcasts i'm going to come up with a list of fun things in wrestling that i can think of that i enjoyed i bet they all involve men yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm really gonna have to think about this, isn't it? I will come up with a list. But yeah, this sucked. <laughs> this is weird, just very weird. But it's got a pumping beat in the background that I really appreciate. It's like this lovely '80s little beat going on. So according to that, and it also reminded me of the Quentin Tarantino film Jackie Brown, because mm. towards the end, Jackie Brown, for those who haven't seen it, she buys like a business suit, and it kind of reminded me of that. And I was like, oh, I love Jackie Brown. I watched that for ages. And I was like, I might watch Jackie Brown at some point. Haven't yet, but I will do shortly, I think. But yeah, you know what, right? This is weird, and it doesn't make any sense in the context of the show either, which like did mystify me, because you don't get any like payoff from it. But a bit of fun, isn't it? it, like, it was, and I also really like Missy Hyatt. I quite liked the fact that Missy Hyatt was fed up, because Robin was just trying on everything and buying everything. I just thought, you know what, why not? Why the hell not? And we just watched Sid, so I needed the intensity to step down a little bit, to be honest. Well, you know what, this isn't really that rare, um, this kind of stuff, even for like all the territories. Like basically in the sort of 1983, 84, the territories war really kind of picked up between all of them. They all started to make their, try to make their show as modern as they could. They tried to include loads of new kind of vignettes and whatnot, stuff they hadn't done before. And loads of them started doing similar things to 
to this so there's kind of you'll you'll get somebody like they'll be introducing a new wrestler and you'll you'll be introduced in the hotel lobby somewhere doing a kind of kind of interview with somebody to try and make them look like they're distinguished because they're in the hotel lobby and things like that <laughs> like it, it, it's really weird but there are lots of things like this and because they didn't have much money and they didn't have the know-how of how to present this sort of stuff and produce this sort of stuff there is a lot of kind of crap like this lying around it, it is it is bad it's fine Matt you're allowed to dislike this one it is bad it's not even really that fun because you can't really hear what they're saying and it's not funny they're just kind of driving around it doesn't have a payoff but there is a continuation of this later on or at least a sort of part mm. of the next chapter of this story which we will come to in fact we come to next because do indeed it's time for me to talk about my match of the night which is the fabulous freebirds defending of the nwa world tag team championship i figured you'd go with this one too against the steiner brothers in a 10 and a half minute match which ends when basically scott stone is coming off the rope and he is tripped although we don't see how or what's happened and then that allows michael hayes to ddt steiner and get the victory this is fucking brilliant this match this is fucking this is the best steiner brothers match i think we've seen as well i i really i really thought this was excellent all the way through super intense the fans are absolutely mad for it the freebirds are phenomenal in this match Mm -hmm. michael hayes is cooking up a storm they absolutely hate them both he and uh jimmy garvin are properly riling them up throughout that's pretty much all they do in fact the steiners meanwhile are intense rick steiner steiner lines are properly like stiff as as you like really look amazing and then scott steiner hits two of the best frankensteiners you'll ever see anywhere they're just absolutely awesome it's a great match this this is a great match forget anything you want to talk about when it comes to basic rudimental uh, you're the one who's banned from saying it man not me <laughs> forget all that stuff because this is fantastic the heat the drama the excitement i didn't love the end i didn't love it but i like the fact that they didn't just leave it at oh he's tripped we don't know how they tried to find another camera angle and they couldn't they couldn't find an angle which showed why he tripped and this is what kind of fed into that previous uh, video package which is that basically either missy hyatt or robin green have tripped scott steiner but they don't know who the cameras don't pick up who the referee doesn't see it the commentators have a reason not to see it because rick steiner and jimmy garvin are also out on the other side of the ring having a fight as well the even though the fans could see it i could buy in the confusion steiners couldn't get a, a straight answer out of the fans who who had done it so i give them a pass for that this is my match tonight i thought it was an excellent match I thought the end was brilliant. I thought it was really good and really well done because, like you said, the crowd are there and they fully play their part in this because the Steiners are pointing at the two women, but they're very careful how they do it because they each point at a different woman at the same time. So it's just noise as well. Mm. It's just brilliantly done. Like the commentators cover it. Jim Cornette says, he said, well, I didn't see it because I was watching on the monitor. I was like, it's perfect because in theory, they're there. Like you'd imagine if you're watching at home, they're there and they're ringside she'd be like what do you what do you see you silly fuckers they just cover it lovely the match is fantastic it's really good like to your point tinky the freebirds hayes in particular on that apron Mm. he is money he is absolute money on that apron the crowd fucking hate him I reckon there's people that would kill him. And Garvin is, Garvin's so fucking good in the ring as well. He's so good. And Hayes is as well. Hayes Selling is fantastic. He's, he's got that Triple H hair. Well, Triple H had the Michael Hayes hair, where yeah. the, it does a lot of the selling. 
but his bumps and that is tremendous. Like you said, the uh, two Frankensteiners, which I couldn't remember what they were called, so I panicked and wrote Steiner Caranas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I uh, which I thought was pretty good. But yeah, this is cracking stuff. Great selling, great energy, great offense. I would have liked a bit. If this had gone another two or three minutes, it would have just, I think also expectation. I thought this was going to be really good and it, it just goes over that. But I think Luca, Tommy Rich gets my match of the night because it was such a surprise. But yeah, this is this is what you'd expect from these four. Well, from these six. Let's not leave the women out like Matt would have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I think it's also um, the thing is that with <laughs> with the Steiners as well is that I find I've said this before I find that their matches are a little bit incomplete because they show so much mm. promise but then for whatever reason something gets in the way of it either the, the match is really short or there's it's an eight man tag and the other people are in the match more often or their opponents aren't great here it's got all the elements and finally you actually get a decent length Steiner brothers tag team match against really good team with super heat on them and it was just it was great to see it's, it's the, the my favorite match of the steiners i've seen so far mm, nice enter the polar bear oh, oh no <laughs> okay let's start with the finish i call bullshit <laughs> okay it was a different time production wise perhaps it's not going to be as flashy as it is today maybe they're not going to have as many cameras and all that jazz but i really find it hard to believe that no fucker there caught the angle of steiner getting tripped up doesn't wash with me didn't like it now that being said i think they did the best thing that they could with it and definitely tried to make a go of it and the fact that they were sort of saying yes we're going to try and find the right angle i thought okay that's a good way of doing it so i can kind of forgive them for that and in all fairness just to swerve you guys that's pretty much the only bad thing i have to say about this match because this was very nearly my match of the night as well this was great it's, it's so weird for me in particular to watch past matches of Scott Steiner because a lot of my sort of history of watching Scott Steiner is from 2003 when he came back to WWE onwards and he was incredibly limited compared to what he could do. And I always remember being told, oh, Scott Steiner's amazing. This is what he... And when he came to WWE in 2003, I remember being titanically disappointed. But to see him here and now, and to see what he could do back in his day, he's great. He, he really is. I mean, his gear, I mean, it, it was almost a, funny to me. I, mean, I was thinking, is he trying to look like Hulk Hogan? It was very, like, yellow boots, yellow trunks. I was like, okay, that just kind of reminded me of Hogan for a bit. But, like, the, the stuff that they did in the match, I mean... For, for me, you can't go wrong with a damn good suplex. If there's any hold or move that I'll be like, yes, I will get me into a match. It's a damn good suplex. And Steiner loves them. Whether it's a German or a belly-to-belly or whatever, plenty of those in this, so that's great. Rick Steiner, I'm less of a fan of, but I can still appreciate why people like him. The, the Freebirds were great. You know, again, I think you both said it. You know, Michael Hales on the apron winding him up was just brilliant. The Frankenstein. I've, I've never, I've never got the Frankensteiner myself. I've never really understood it, but. To see him hit the two in the row year that he did and just to see people absolutely lose their 
freaking minds for it. Do you know what? Great. Good on him. So, like I said, this this match was great. One of the best of the night for sure. Finish aside. What did what didn't you get about the the Steiner Frankensteiner? Was it that you didn't get why people were so into it? Yeah, I I, I don't I don't I don't get why it, it's you know it's it's seen as like this cool. I mean, off the top rope, wow. But I don't know. I've never understood why people go so nuts for it. But even in the context of as you <laughs> said at the very beginning, the basic <laughs> nature of the of the wrestling, can you not see it? I, I suppose I can. I can now. I just I I, I never really did. Hmm. It was one of those things that people always used to say. Well, you know, he does this thing, and I was like, oh, okay, what's that about? And then when I saw it, I was like, huh. But yeah, yeah, you know, compared to what I've learned, yes, I, I can. Yeah, I can see what you mean. And I think that's the thing. It's like again, it's it's that discipline over long periods of time to not just let everyone just do what the hell they want every single match it allows you then to make such a big deal of the Frankensteiner or the Doomsday Device or any number of other moves that just elevate the show in a way that they just wouldn't do that now. No, that, that's it, isn't it? It's like the Frankenstein has done it, but well, not so much now, especially in WWE. But like in the well, early 2000s, it was done about 700 times a pay per view, wasn't it? Which is obviously when you first started watching that. So I can completely understand. I think what I find astonishing about the Frankensteiner, sorry, the Steiner Kamrana, is <laughs> that he does it in particular in this match. He's just standing still. Yeah. It's just like, oh, my bed is next to me. <laughs> and it probably comes up to probably about halfway to my knees. I could probably jump up on that and land flat footed. I could not get much higher than that. So whenever I see someone do something from a stand and stop, I'm just like, stand and stop. <laughs> from, a, from a stand and start. I'm always amazed. You mentioned the suplexes, Matt, and I can't believe I forgot. There was a beautiful belly to back by Scott to Jimmy Garvin and then Rick comes in and he's fucking tearing up a storm and he does a beautiful belly to belly overhead to Michael Hayes that is one of the most beautiful things that they have ever seen not quite as good as that German suplex that I think he does as well Rick Steiner does in that match thinking that me and you were basically if we'd have been together we'd have probably getting off with each other because it was so good <laughs> um, and also I'm just thinking about this though I actually haven't said what I said about like the minimalist approach to wrestling I think if someone did this now the size of Scott Steiner I'd still think mm. it was phenomenal mm. I'd still be like actually that's amazing like I can imagine for example who's a kind of equivalent size of Scott Steiner maybe a big E actually mm. sort of size if, if he did if he broke out of Frankenstein and hit it the way Steiner did I'd be like fucking hell this guy's this guy's tremendous how does he do that that's amazing so actually I take it all back doesn't you don't even need it to be you know basic everywhere else this would still blow my mind if mm. someone did it now right he's just throwing it in your face he keeps saying basic doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's just like he's basically like a cock tease but a cock block as well yeah absolutely that's what disgusting man so after this uh we get jim jim ross and cornet continuing to speculate as to what happened in the end of that match as we said they do get another camera angle but it's no more conclusive and they say that they're going to continue to try and get a camera angle just for to wrap everything up this does turn out to be that robin green is the one who tripped scott steiner and that uh she would later go on to manage doom who was ron simmons and butch reed in a tag team shortly afterwards and they'd have a feud between the two teams next up we get a short three and a half minute match between brian pillman and norman the lunatic 
And it ends when Pillman gets the pin with a crucifix. That's how he ends the match. There's a crucifix pin. Let's start with with you, Matt. What did you make of this one? I like the crucifix pin finish, but I pretty much spent most of this match thinking, okay, this guy is what? So he's a lunatic. I'm assuming he's 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 come from some asylum, maybe. And I was thinking, why have they let a lunatic out of the asylum? <laughs> and I was just coming up with all sorts of theories about this. I was like, so they went to the asylum, said, we need this guy for one night. He's going to wrestle a match and then we'll bring him back to you. I was thinking, yes, that's an interesting old story. And that's pretty much what I spent the entirety of this match thinking, because it just seemed rather crazy to me. But yeah, he was he's clearly a big guy. Brian Pillman flying around all over the place, which, which was pretty cool. It didn't really last really long. And yeah, it was just by the numbers. You know, it, it wasn't wasn't bad, wasn't good. But the, the character of the, the lunatic, OK, not not my cup of tea. <laughs> nope, not your cup of tea because you wouldn't get it in the octagon. Ha! Hey, this. <laughs> These are these are the characters that we have that you know that, that work. The lunatic is, is not one of them. I mean, I must say you do raise a very good point about Norman the lunatic, or the lunatic Norman, as I wrote his name down. Also, he's ma- he's managed by Teddy Long, so maybe Teddy Long went to the yeah. asylum to get him. I out. think I think that's the idea. Is Teddy Long is exploiting him? Yeah, which is a bit mean. Uh, Norman is Bastian Booger, is indeed, which yeah. I I literally just looked up and I was like, bloody yeah, how about that? Um, I'm glad he's. He's not eating in this because oh, that always yeah. made me feel a bit sick. Yeah, we've been through this many times. So, old Pillman, like you said, flying all over the shop. It's a cracking suplex on Norman early on, and then it's just dominating crossbody from the top rope to the outside, which is lovely old job. And then uh, the lunatic grabs the key from Teddy Long and then takes over the match. So maybe the key is like the Undertaker's urn, only more convenient. Let's be honest, because at least the key's got a use. The urine was just empty, wasn't it? Probably, don't know. But yeah, then yeah, there's a slam in a backdrop by Flying Brian after he regains control. There's the crossbody, so the flying crossbody that Flying Brian does, which looks spectacular. And fair play to Norm, he fucking catches him. He catches him good as well, because he gets some good, good air underneath that bastard. And then it's over. And uh, again, there's nothing to dislike about this. It's three minutes thirty-eight. We know exactly what this is doing. This is exactly like the Z-Man earlier, in that they're just trying to show off, look, this is this young talent we've got. He's fucking great. And here's some fat fuck that we're going to have him beat up. And he's Norman the Lunatic, so there's no chance that anyone's going to cheer for him. The same as the Cuban assassin. Fuck me. The Cuban assassin. No one's going to cheer for him. So you get these young guys over. Beautiful stuff. And to top it all off, Teddy Long is wearing a different hat so that he was wearing earlier and i just thought that was a lovely little touch i i thoroughly enjoyed this match yeah. i'm really really quite surprised how much i enjoyed it especially as it's three and a half minutes long i, th- I think it's just it doesn't it doesn't do anything but pillman just does a load of moves and they're all really mm. fun really good and i thought norman the lunatic looked really quite competent as well which is a bit of a backhanded compliment but given what we've seen <laughs> from him as bastion booger is a big compliment to be honest for a, for a squash which is effectively what it was a strange squash as well given the size difference between the two it was it was very very decent indeed maybe bastion booger is the guy maybe he is maybe he's the man yeah. the i mean i guess i guess if you when you look at him, if you think about what I was saying about um, Earthquake, I think it was during the Summer Summer yeah. 92 episode or Summer Summer 91, one of the two. You know, the fact that he, he's he got to look. He can't get away from that. 
you know, he's mm. not a good looking chap. Ultimately, he's not going to be a guy that people are, you know, using him for his look and his physique. So what are you going to do? I mean, he's just going to get given shit gimmicks, isn't he? And ultimately, he's got to do the best he can with them. And ultimately, he's never going to go very far with them. But if he can get anything out of them, he's done pretty well. Yeah, and he did. No, they're both, both of those guys are deceased now. Well, and Pillman. So Pillman, Tenta, Booger, dead. Yes. So next up, we get backstage Gary Hart again with Gordon Soley. <laughs> Soley says that the problem is with Terry Funk, but Gary Hart says that Funk is in the building. That's all he'll say. So obviously, again, I just felt the positioning of this was weird. And also now they're back together. So what's good, what what's happened there? Just this, this, yeah, this one was even weirder than the first one. Well, also they don't use the word camp once in this. No, I mean, what's that about? Yeah, where's the consistency? So then we get match number six, which is Steve Williams against Mike Rotunda in a seven-minute contest, which ends when Williams picks up Rotunda for a slam, but Rotunda holds onto the ropes. The referee kicks. Rotunda's hands for some reason um the momentum carries him down onto Williams but then Williams uses that momentum to roll over again and he gets the pin on Rotunda uh this is uh, I think supposed to be a grudge match following the split of the varsity club that Williams and Rotunda were both members of Matt what did you make of this one I quite enjoyed this I definitely uh, enjoy Steve Williams I've seen a couple of things of his and I do think he's pretty good the ref sort of Kicking his arm, yeah, you know, kind of, what was that about? Didn't didn't really know the rest could sort of get involved like that, but hey, I, I suppose he did. But yeah, um, it was good. I mean, I've never seen that much of micro tender, so that was certainly something new for me. But yeah, you know, I, I felt that, you know, Steve selling in this was really good. That's one thing for me in particular, like, you know, when he got sort of, um, he was either thumb to the eye or raked in the eyes at one point, and he really sold that pretty good. So that that really worked for me as well. You know, some good moves in this as well, some good holds in that as well. Um, good old abdominal stretch, you know, you like one of those, Ben. That sounded dodgy. <laughs> got the wrong man. You got the wrong man. Yeah. I thought it was you. I thought it was you. No, it's old man. Uh, old man loves the abdominal stretch then. God, do I ever... And this is a fucking doozy as well. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there was a really cool sort of press slam by Steve Williams in this, but to bloody to be fair to him, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure he sort of pressed him in the air about three or four times, which was pretty impressive. The crowd were into it. There was some form of you suck chant towards Rotunda, which I couldn't understand what they were saying. It was definitely something you suck or something. No. Yeah, it definitely wasn't that, but it was, it was something... Like you suck, but like, I just, I couldn't understand them. But Cox, it was the Cox. Either. Ne- neither <laughs> neither Brian Nobbs of the Nasty Boys nor the Red Rooster are in this match. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd definitely voiced their displeasure towards it. We'll we'll leave it at that. But yeah, this, this, like I said, this this match was good. Quite enjoyed it. More needs to be said. So for some reason, I don't know why. So I was uh, I was away last week. I went to do some uni stuff in Birmingham and I watched the first hour of this in a travelodge. And for some reason, I wrote Mike Sex Rotunda <laughs> in my notes versus Steve Williams. I have no idea why. But you know what? I must have Enjoy- been feeling it. I was going to say, were, you, were your mind already like erring towards the remote and the uh, premium channels? In that <laughs> oh, I tell me, the Travelodge in Birmingham didn't have any premium channels. Didn't even Although have a TV. I did. <laughs> no, well, I did hear someone, well, two people having quite loud sex as I was staying there. So maybe that was it. But yeah. Stay, stay classy, Travelodge. Stay classy. Oh, it was uh, it wasn't the best I've ever stayed in, I've got to be honest. But never mind. This is the first match, and JR is infamous for this. 
the first match where he reels off a load of US sports stats about both Sex Rotunda and Steve Williams. And I was just like, what are these guys going on with? But then Mike hits the abdominal stretch, holding the top rope, which is outside of someone else pulling the arm from the outside is my favourite spot, abdominal stretch spot. I also, to your point, Matt, this is the best I've ever seen Steve Williams look. Now that's like looking at a turd and going, that's the best looking turd I've ever seen because I really don't think he's any cop at all, right, at all in the other stuff I've seen. But he's in there with one of the greatest. It's just a really good match. Again, it's just really, they're just doing this really well. You've covered the opponent officiating. Like, we won't, we don't need to do this. Old Sex Rotunda as well. And someone does this earlier in the show as well. Goes for a clothesline, misses, goes over the top rope. Just love that. How much energy he must have been putting into this clothesline. I think it was Lex Luger that did that. Um, the missed the clothesline and went over the top rope in one of the matches. Yeah, it's, it's just a spot I really appreciate because you're running into a guy full pelt. You want to take his fucking head off. So you're going to go over the top rope. But this is just good. There's a good pace to it. What you said about the rake of the ice, Matt, I don't think old Dr. Death Steve Williams sells anything, really, in this match. It doesn't take away from it because it's very fast-paced. But that was my only gripe with it. And i got to be honest, at this point in the card, I'm having a wonderful time watching this. Go on, the NWA in 1989. You, you must have missed him punching the air. Where, where, you know, when it was like, you, he was trying to see, he couldn't see him, and he was... You know, he was swinging for leather and you couldn't see him because his eyes were compromised. Perhaps I did. The sex was really loud by the people (laughs) a few rooms over. Probably distracted. Yeah, I I didn't. This one passed me by a little bit. I've got to be honest. I didn't love this too much. It it wasn't bad. I just found it a little bit by the numbers. I I felt like there wasn't a lot of thought went into it. It just seemed to be a case of let's get out there, get our stuff in, get out. And I didn't really get the feeling that it was particularly intense, the rivalry between the two, which I I thought it should have been and this is why I said that I think that this was due to them being in the varsity club because I don't know for definite like it just didn't feel that personal they did mention it that the commentators mentioned that they were in the varsity club together but even then it just didn't didn't come across like they were in this sort of blood feud so yeah it would have been a bit better I think if that had come across more if, or I felt that fuse more not to say that it was bad it just passed me by a little bit it didn't really do an awful lot for me so then next we get Lex Luger backstage with Gordon Soley Luger says that this truly is a showcase event. Luger says that he is the main showpiece and the um God, what the fuck have I written there? <laughs> To, to be fair, Tiggy, you tried to take notes during this promo. That was your major <laughs> problem because it's such nonsense he's spouting. He's trying to say that this is a showcase and I'm the showpiece because I'm the total package. It takes him almost two and a half minutes to not say that. And Gordon Soli just every now and then will just go, hmm, uh-huh. <laughs> And I'll just be like, come on, lads. This is the Luger we know and love. <laughs> no, fair enough. He does say something about that he's bigger than the sport itself and says that he's unbeaten as well but yeah. you're right it's a pretty garbled thing this whole thing but it does precede Lex Luger and Tommy Rich which we've already discussed and we were all enjoyed it's quite funny because I literally quote from my notes is oh dear Lex isn't very good at promos is he <laughs> <laughs> after the Lex Luger Tommy Rich we finally get to the bottom of all the nonsense with Gordon Soley and Gary Hart so Gordon Soley is with Gary Hart once more backstage Hart tells Soley that he has a letter from a doctor from Louisiana which basically says that Terry Funk cannot compete in a match 
tonight, which is supposed to be himself and the great Muta against Ric Flair and Sting. They then show some video of Funk in the hospital talking to camera and saying that this is due to what Flair did to him recently. Funk says he'll be at Clash no matter what, even if he has to crawl there. So this is the setup for why Terry Funk is not in our main event. So that's what this has all been leading up to. Terry Funk isn't in the match. We don't know what's going to happen at this point, but I just felt, again, I just, I think that there was a story to tell here and one that would have been fine. I just think they told it all wrong. Yeah, this is weird. Gary Hart's already said that Funk's here, Mm. but then he's not here. The bit with Funk is fantastic. Him in the hospital is brilliant, I thought. I thought the way that he delivers it, he sets up why there's cameras there as well immediately. He's like, oh, the reason why you guys are here and you've got your cameras in the hospital is to find out whether I'm going to be at Clash of Champions. But that bit was great. All the stuff around that I was just so confused by. Yeah. And this is Gary Hart. Like We've watched another show with him. He's really good. A really good talker. But they try and, I don't know, like you've said, it's all muddled. Like someone got pissed in the edit. I don't think there's a particularly high story to tell I, I, no. know, I, I, I feel like it should just be the first one Gordon Soley says look Gary we've heard some rumours that there's some trouble with your tag team tonight what's going on and then you can have Gary Hart saying look there's nothing wrong with my tag team it's fine I don't know what you're talking about you know what rumours is like they're all over the place they don't mean anything just forget it then later in the show you can go back for an interview Gary Hart can come in and go look what have you called me back mm. for again I've already answered these <laughs> questions why why, why am I here again and Gordon Soley goes we've now heard that Terry Funk is not in the building what's going on and Gary Hart can say he is in the building He he's definitely here because actually we know he's here because in the end he does show up at the main event so he can still say he's here it's fine if they need to then they can do this bit which is you know the reveal but I just yeah it's all just muddled it doesn't like you're not really sure what they're getting to and why they've done it in this this way and why they've done it in this order maybe they should have just said right from the start that Terry Funk's not here where is he similar to yeah. what they do with I think it's Owen Hart at In Your House 3 when Yokozuna and Owen Hart are supposed to face Diesel and Shawn Michaels they could have done a very similar thing to that but yes just really muddled yeah it's the one real big block on this show and luckily it doesn't really make any difference but yeah like you've just said it's not a difficult thing to do so next up Gordon Soley's backstage with Sting and Ric Flair Flair says that Funk is a hurt man uh, they say they don't care who good the great muter's partner is going to be they just need to walk that out uh, a bit generic this promo didn't really go anywhere I thought I quite nah. like Sting yeah for Flair's sort of part of it didn't really do anything for me but at least Sting I was like oh wow you seem like really fired up and I don't know I just I quite liked it yeah, from Sting I didn't think it was bad I just thought it was really generic and not really didn't really do anything. I thought this was leading to a turn by Flair on them because they're so happy. They're so happy together and you're like, oh, this ain't going to last. And they, I like how they just um, they keep walking in front of Gordon Soley as well when they're talking. Poor old Gordon Soley. Like, yeah, I'm not his number one fan, but he's just like, he's just there with his microphone and they just walk in front of him. At one point, they stepped forward so he's just dark as well. Uh, it was absolutely fine, I thought, to set up the main event of the which evening. Is, which is next. It was the great Muter, an unknown additional partner against Ric Flair and Sting that additional partner turns out to be Dirty Dick Slater everybody loves Dirty Dick and what a name <laughs> it, it, it match goes for 19 minutes uh, and it ends basically in a big old schmoz the ref is down and Flair is blinded then Terry Funk arrives and he ties a plastic bag around Flair's head in, in, in what I thought was one of the more dangerous things I've ever seen and also looked really silly the hills work over Sting and Flair and then they walk out for no real reason either. Matt, let's go to you. 
What did you think of this main event? Well, at first, man, I think you need to say it as it is. Terry Funk attempted to murder Ric Flair. Yes, he did, yes. <laughs> now, this is all I could think of about this match after I watched it. I was like, hang on, Terry Funk is literally on live, well, I'm assuming it was live, <laughs> on television is trying to attempt murder of one of his opponents. There, there were so many things, so many things wrong with that that I just don't even know where to begin. I mean, the stupidity of trying to get away with murder when it's televised that's one thing i mean if we're gonna you know bring it back to you know wrestling and doing spots and stuff what a stupid fucking one to do yeah you know why why would you do that for me it really really spoiled what was actually a good match so I, I've got to quickly have a massive go at that stupid finish. The, the match itself was actually pretty good. Sting is a, a guy who in the past, I, I haven't really known what to make of Sting, but he's definitely starting to, starting to warm to, you know, starting to warm on me. That's wrong weird way of putting it. I'm starting to enjoy Sting's work. He's good. You know, I, I felt like he worked pretty good in this. You know, Flair came in, would do his just sort of trademark chops. Everybody would be happy. You know, that's great. There was a weird sort of thing where I'm sure they used a spot where they used coins as a weapon. Gary Hart came in with a weapon at one point mid-match, and I'm sure they said it was a bag of coins. I got to be honest, I wrote this down because I'm so disappointed that Jim Cornette didn't say it, because if it definitely was coins, he said in the nick of time, and I just went, no! Why did you say in the nickel of time? That was staring you in the face. I offer you comedy gold on that one, but nobody took it, which is a shame. I'm not sure it was gold, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, I, maybe copper but not not gold <laughs> Yeah, like I said, this this was good. Muda was really good in this as well. The, you know, there's a really great power bomb that, that he used in this. That I thought was great. Like I said, Flair would do his trademark stuff, which was awesome. Again, I've, I've really got over the finish, which is just, just absolutely crazy. But even the fact that they sort of went to break and when they came back, everybody was still around. They were trying to figure out what was going on. And then the credits roll, which just gave me a, a massive laugh. I was just like, you know, it's okay. Terry Funk attempted murder, but hey, let's roll the credits, end the show. You know, good night, folks. It just felt really, really bizarre to to what was a good match, essentially. But yeah, you're you're right. I think all that stuff is perfectly valid. I just didn't. It just didn't stand out to me as the real problem with this match. I think the thing was is I really, really struggled for the first seven or eight minutes of it to get over the fact that Terry Funk wasn't in the match from the very beginning. When I saw that this was the main event, I was like, oh, excited! Sting and Ric Flair against Terry Funk and the Great Muta. That sounds like a really decent tag team match i'm looking forward to that a lot and then they took terry funk out and i thought oh and we replaced them with dirty dicks later which i was uh, also not particularly impressed by so that was that was really disappointing it took me a long time to get over that i did eventually get over it and what i saw was a decent a decent match i'm not gonna go mad for it i i do have a problem with rick flair and sting as wrestlers i think first of all what you spoke about this matt that rick flair i think is overwrite oh it's not the right word and it might be a product of the time yeah. but i mean for example i've watched quite a lot of bruno san martino matches right bruno san martino you would absolutely hate matt because all he does is punch <laughs> and kicks most of it's really slow and a lot of the time they don't even look 
good punches and kicks. I prefer to watch Bruno Sammartino matches to Ric Flair matches. And I think for me, Ric Flair is, for the most part, what I've seen of his is very, very repetitive, very, very the same thing over and over again. And once you've seen one Ric Flair match for me, you've seen most of them. There doesn't do a lot of variation on what he, he does in every match. And I have that real problem. And I have kind of the same problem with Sting. I find Sting to be extremely generic in what he does. There's never a story that he's telling. You know, it's never anything particularly exciting, particularly technically well done. He's quite fast paced. He can jump around a bit, but he doesn't. There's never seems to be any rhyme or reason for anything he does. He just sort of moves around the ring for however long the match is and then it's over. I don't really enjoy either of their styles and so for me this match was mainly redeemed by the great Muta who for me he everything he does looks super crisp everything all of his movement looks crisp you know and he's got a great physique he looks like intimidating looks like he would be a good fighter basically I think he looks tough I think he looks like a real badass I've never seen Keiji Muto do his stuff in in the main events of Japanese wrestling shows i'm sure he's had absolute classics i've only really seen him through the prism of this period of his time in wcw but what i have seen makes me think that he is a really good wrestler it's just he's up against inferior opponents in the likes of rick flair and sting i'm sure there's going to be people who jump all over my dislike for sting and rick flair's ring style i just don't find it compelling in the slightest i say that sometimes i've seen matches that i i really quite like because they've got some something about them and they're, they obviously are massively over so that really helps but this for me is what I think of when I think of Stinger Ric Flair just a really kind of running through the motions not really doing anything that exciting just presenting moves in no real order that is amounted to anything other than it's a, it's a wrestling match I can see that because I'm watching the television because they're in a ring but that's it and this was it was a bit like that so it was alright then I also thought so the end was so I quite got into it in the sort of second half of the match but then the end the problem for me was is that you've put dick slater in you've replaced terry funk your two big matches at halloween havoc i presume i don't know for definite but i presume are sting versus the great muta and terry funk versus rick flair so why can't dick slater take the pinfall what's the problem here you know there's no problem there's no harm done if either flair or sting pins dick slater so why not do that we don't have to have a schmozzy double disqualification in fact it's not even a double disqualification i think it's just a no contest (laughs) just a no contest in fact wikipedia lists it sting and rick flair winning by disqualification but i i didn't see that what i saw was a match that didn't get any official result and went off the air before we got it so yeah yeah so for me I just thought that was a that was silly. I just don't see the need. You know, I understand if you'd had the match that you'd originally advertised, I could see you not wanting either team to win or lose because you are building towards those matches. But you've got Dick Slater in there now, so just use him for this purpose. I just that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, do you know, there's a couple of things in there that, that I do agree with. I mean, we, we have talked about Ric Flair before, you know, on the show. And yeah, it, it's one of those that I'm just I'm not seeing what everyone's talking about. Just he's got charisma for days. I'll give you that. And, you know, he, he, he cuts a good promo. But uh, just mechanically, I'm just like, 
it's just something I don't know. I, I don't see what other people see when it comes to flair matches. I mean, it, it, his offense consists of a load of chops. You'll see the figure four, and I'm like, okay, it just feels very formulaic, but people love him. Um, I mean, you know, Sting, I, I can see what you mean when it comes to Sting. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but, but there's just there is something that I do find quite captivating about Sting, and I never used to like him. When, you know, when he was in TNA years ago, I mean, I used to really dislike him, but watching of his older stuff now I just I don't know it is I, I, I seem to have flipped on that when it comes to the great mooter in this I mean I gotta be honest I actually felt he was quite shortchanged. I, I felt that there was more for him to do in this I, I don't think that he was given all that much which was a bit disappointing and, and I would have liked to have seen some more from him because you know I agree with you when he came out I thought oh bloody hell you're a guy who looks good who looks like he's gonna kick some ass and I didn't really sort of see that much of it I mean it was it was telegraphed at the start by the commentators that you knew he was gonna use the mist at some point so you know they kept saying oh he's he's got the red yellow or whatever green mist so you knew at some point it was coming so that was cool but yeah i mean like i said the, the, the match was uh it, it, like i said I, I thought it was good but yeah that that finish just like i can't say attempted murder in professional wrestling does it for me what do you think old man i really enjoyed this a lot and then mm. the finish did really let it down because the action is non-stop the crowd are wetter than an otter's pocket during all this they are so excited Dick Slater Dirty yeah. Dick Dirty Dick yeah what a man <laughs> he puts in a heck of a show in here I thought he plays his part so beautifully he does the thing where he's trying to reach for a tag and he I don't know whether it's genuine or not but he reaches too far so he's like hanging over the rope for about three or four seconds and he can't get himself back in you can just see Gary Hart just looks at him and he's like am I going to have to do something here but it's just very intense it's really intense like from the start when Sting and Muta are in there they pretty much tear it down to be honest for about three or four minutes and I thought this is this is going to be cracking stuff for both Flair and Sting for me this is the best I've seen them like in terms of intensity when Flair comes in he chops Muta about four or five times in the corner and I I was watching it and I genuinely thought I would have passed out if he'd done that to me because they look agonising absolutely agonising it's great and then there's a nerve hold this is in my wheelhouse already I liked the stinger splash and then he goes into the um goes to put him in the what was it the shit sharpshooter the scorpion death lock yeah or the shit and sharp, that, or the shit sharpshooter that's yeah i mean i, I think it's a better name but whatever <laughs> it might be a better name it's a much worse move that's fair <laughs> yeah and then uh oh gazzy h comes in with a roll of quarters punches him and then sting kicks out and the referee so when it kind of breaks down a bit later on i think it's dick slater does something that he's not allowed to to rick flair and he's trying to get him out the ring and he's looking at the coins and he's like is this you and dick says like, no 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 and the referee's like quite rightly he can't do anything because he doesn't know who it is then there's the yellow mist which has never been seen in the US before this night apparently and then I liked the fact that old Tez came down I liked that it all goes me nuts as you've said Matt I did not like what he did to Flair attempted murder that made me as someone who's claustrophobic as well that made me extraordinarily uncomfortable I don't think Flair would have enjoyed it anyway but he keeps his arm there I know it's through the whole thing. I'm, I'm not fucking surprised. I did have been ripping the bag. I just been like, fuck this shit. You ain't doing that to me. And then the way that it just, all of a sudden, it's just a DQ. They don't announce it. 
Don't know who's won. Still don't know. I'll never know. My deathbed, I'll go. And I'll <laughs> never know. But up until that, I thought this was fucking great. Mm. I thought this was really, really fucking good. I thought the energy was great. The crowd are so into it. Quite a different response to that match. Yes. Than myself and Matt mm. did. Certainly me. I think Matt liked it a bit more than I did. And you went a mm. lot further than I did. It's, it's, it's mm. interesting. You know what? I'm not that. I'm not particularly claustrophobic. I'm a little bit claustrophobic. But I do have a specific phobia about mm. about plastic bag over my head. I really do. You know, it's stood yeah. out to me since I was a kid as something that seems particularly horrible. And uh, Flair has to do it. And you're right. He's got his kind of hand up there trying mm. to kind of make sure that he's always got a way out of that as quick as he yeah. can because yeah I, I wouldn't want to do that at all i think one thing i did notice as well is at the end so they have ad break at the end of the match and then they come back and you've got both main event faces around mm. like sting's just been walloped with a brandon iron on his shin mm. and then you've got rick flair somehow bleeding i don't quite know how he's bleeding but it's rick flair in it yeah yeah they said he got hit in the head with the uh Brandon Iron. That's it. Which I quite like as a weapon because obviously Terry Funk is synonymous with horses and cattle. And I thought, ah, oh, he's got a rancher. That oh, makes kind of makes sense. I like the fact that it just appears. But all of a sudden, Gary Hart's got it. And Cornette says it on the commentary. He's like, unless he's a magician, he didn't have that in his hand when he came down. So maybe he is a magician. And I was like, Gary Hart, I was like, he'd make quite a good magician, I think, his face. It is an interesting visual, though, because obviously they are building towards Halloween Havoc and those two singles matches, which I presume, again, I haven't done it for definite, but I presume those are the matches. So, you know, to have the two baby faces down and out at the end of the show makes perfect sense to me because it's your go home. Effectively, it's mm. like a go home rule. So it does make sense for them to do that. Yeah. What I thought was quite interesting is that it was the, I mean, it was the end of the next month. So I think you can kind of get away with it. But like Sting's had his bloody shin done. I mean, I've had shin splints before, and it hurts. So just have a look. Then, Actually, the, the the match it wasn't a two singles matches. It was another tag match, and this mm. is obviously why they replaced Terry Funk because they wanted to do the match, the tag match in the main event of Halloween Havoc. So they, they that's when they had Rick Flair and Sting against Terry yeah. Funk, a great Muta, in a Thunderdome match with Bruno Sammartino, a special guest referee. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is you taking the words right out of my mouth because. Uh, that's effectively a Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. WWE didn't, didn't invent wrestling. <laughs> no, they invented sports entertainment, old man. Oh, yeah. Right. That is everything on the show. So it's time to give your overall views and your score out of 10. Let's, let's have yours, old man, first. I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I would watch this again, and I would happily watch it again. So I'm going to give this an 8, and I'm going to go and tell that dog to be quiet. <laughs> Matt, what about yourself? Um, well, my match of the night was the Road Warriors versus the Samoan SWAT team, which is, God, what a great tag team name. MVP of the night. Ugh. Do you know what? I think I'm going to lean towards Lex Luger on that one. Yeah, I'm going to give that a good old Lex. I think he deserves it. Good, good, good old Lex. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. Well done, mate. <laughs> In terms of my overalls or number for the show, I really, 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 really struggled to think of a specific number for this because I wouldn't call it a good show. I wouldn't call it a bad show. I mean, it was fine to watch. I'd say, fi- yeah, fine is probably the word. It was fine to watch. I, I can definitely say I'm probably never going to watch it again, but not because it was bad. I mean, it's almost the, the perfect def- definition of average, really, and just being fine. So I suppose by that, I'm probably going to go with a five. 
I'm going to give this a six. I thought it was very decent in places. I thought the tag team, as I said, the, t- the tag team title match for me was am- amazing. Lex Luger versus uh, Tommy Rich was far, far better than I ever imagined it would be. And I think if the main event had been even a bit closer to those matches, I'd be giving this at least a seven because I, I do think it's a, uh, I do think it's actually overall the quality is decent. I think the problems are that there is a number of matches that are very short. They're basically squash matches. You can't really give them too much credit for that. Saying that though, the more I think about it, there aren't any bad matches. I think the the match that most um, turned me off, if I'm honest, was the match between Mike Rotund and Steve Williams. I just found it a little bit average and a little bit nothingy. But even that wasn't bad. I'm almost talking to myself and giving this a seven, you know. But I, I'm going to yeah. stick with the six because uh, I think that's what that was my instant reaction. And the main event was what laid down for me actually saying that I didn't, I just didn't find that very compelling. And it was long, it was the longest match on the show as it should be. It's the main event. And and I just felt like again, just give the baby faces the victory over Dick Slayer because he's not. It's not important. You don't need to protect him. He can he can be pinned, no problem. A, a decent show, and again, another reason why I think I always approach these Clash of the Champions with a, with an interest because you know I, I'm I'm grading it on a basis of quality, but actually my enjoyment of this was very high, and it's the first show I've watched in a long time since really us having our baby that I have managed to watch in one go. That's partly due to the length because it was less than two hours long, but also it was it flew by. It was just very, very enjoyable. Right. There we go. Now, old man, have you managed to get the dog to pipe down a little? Yes, I think she wanted some food and some water. Couldn't see the water right in front of her, so I've had to move it. And I did have to get some more food because she's eating it. So she's had uh, five dumps today. <laughs> well, uh, thanks all the same for joining us today, old man. Right. Absolutely no problem at all. And uh, it's little Sprout who was barking if if she makes the edit. So uh, there she, she is. She right. will now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right on cue. But don't worry about little Sprouty for the time being. You always remember her. But you also need to rate, <laughs> review, <laughs> and remember... Ken Patera. And Matt, thank you for your contributions as well. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It is a pleasure as always. And remember from me that the polar bear does enjoy fun in wrestling and does enjoy women's matches. Even though we've yet to see any evidence of either of those two things. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week. But until then, take care. From the dear soul.